1: Jimmy Cook looks completely befuddled and confused. That's because your mic wasn't on for the first
2: half of your sentence. No, I I heard it. I didn't hear what you said. I I said,
1: happy tag day. Happy tag day to you as well. You know who did not get tagged? And we've got big news to talk about here coming up with Indiana basketball, by the way. Um, But you know who did not get tagged today? Lay it on me. The tag was not applied to Baker Mayfield. Which is a little bit surprising, is it not? Uh, At least, I guess they can still do it at any time, but but the word is, or the narrative seems to be, from what I read, that that they're going to let him go into free agency. I would think that, at the very least, they would come back and tag him, right? Tampa would want to hold on to him? I would think they'd want to hold on to him, but also... I would think
2: that Tampa Bay, and I would need to check their cap sources to or cap space to confirm this, but I would think they would still have the ability to retain him even for what he would demand on the open market. And they have a couple pieces that they would likely want to use that tag for that would better serve them in the long term versus just this short rejuvenation window that Baker Mayfield's had.
1: Apparently, they want to use the franchise tag on Antoine Winfield, and as a result of that, they would let him go into free agency. And then I guess it just becomes a matter of this from Rick Stroud of the Tampa Bay Times. Um you know, how much they're willing to then spend on Mayfield. And, you know, he'd be an unrestricted. So we'll see what he demands on the open market. Truth be told, probably few situations better for him than Tampa, right?
2: I think he would feel the same way as would Tampa Bay and wanting to bring him back. Especially when you look at the Buccaneers, they're not in a position where they're trying to contend necessarily next year. They're just looking for stability post Tom Brady, and they still have some young pieces, but they're likely going to lose – a heavy weapon in their offense. And Mike Evans, he's one of the most coveted free agent wide receivers in the free agent class. He's likely to go somewhere else for the first time in his career. And so you're just looking for stability in a division that is very winnable in the NFC South. So yeah, I think it would make a lot of sense both for Baker, who has had a couple of rough spots in his tenure post Cleveland Browns days, just trying to find another viable home to make him a starter. Looks like he's found that in Tampa Bay, And we'll see what happens in the free agent period when that opens two weeks from now. But I'm not necessarily shocked that they would not place the tag on him. I think you can get a deal done without it.
1: So the big news when it comes to franchise tag availability in the NFL, locally speaking, is that, of course, of Michael Pittman. And whether or not Michael Pittman Jr. is going to be franchise tagged by the Colts or whether the Colts decide to let him go into free agency which I would not anticipate but that's one of the things we will talk about today pretty big show lined up today as a matter of fact Nick Gardner going to join us coming up about 25 minutes from now talk a little Butler basketball uh we'll also have Stephen Holder to talk about the situation with the Colts coming up at two o'clock we'll keep our eye on the franchise tag NFL news heading into or as a preemptive I guess you would say to free agency in the National Football League. Good afternoon to you on a Tuesday. My name is Jake Query, Jimmy Cook, the voice you just heard. Eddie Garrison here as well. It is Query and company on 93.5 5, 107.5 The Fan. I guess the big news locally speaking for Central Indiana in the last couple of hours. Mike Woodson, getting ready to play, of course, the Nebraska Cornhuskers with his weekly availability, had the following things to say earlier today. Uh, Woodson talked to the local media, getting ready for Indiana. Questions, of course, with the Hoosiers struggling, looking like they're not going to make the NCAA tournament. There's great question about the future of Indiana, and I don't mean about necessarily the leadership, but just the direction. That's probably a better way of saying it, the direction of Indiana. It is not my intention to sit here and turn this into a three-hour program bashing Indiana basketball that's tired, it's lazy, it's low-hanging fruit, but it is a team that the ratio of passion of the fan base versus actual reasons for passion of the last 20 years is probably not balanced. And... There is an expectation amongst people here, be it fair or not, of a brand of the way Indiana basketball should look. And I think that many, many people, we are not, as I've said before, we are not a xenophobic state by nature, but we like and take pride in our own. We just got done with an entire weekend where the greatest basketball players in the world converged on Indianapolis and the world saw the stage of Indianapolis when it comes to the game of basketball. And the entire basis, the entire marketing campaign, if you will, the entire introduction to the world about the all-star game being in Indianapolis was about Indiana basketball and we grow basketball here. And was the chance for the city of Indianapolis and the state of Indiana to tell the same stories that have been told a million times over. We as sports fans in Indiana and we as a basketball culture are essentially the old guys sitting around the campfire telling the same story over and over and over. When it comes to Indiana basketball in this state, and I don't mean Indiana University basketball, I'm talking about the game of basketball as it relates to the state of Indiana. We are all the prisoners at Shawshank Prison that are sitting around telling the same stories over and over again about cold beers and cold suds on top of tarring the roofs. The same thing over and over and over again. We love to tell the story of Milan. We love to tell the story of Attucks. We love to tell the story of Indianapolis, Washington. We love to tell the story of the Franklin Wonder Five and the Marion Purple Rain. We, we, that's what we do. And that makes us a little bit unique. And in that capacity, when you're talking about the university basketball program that has the name Indiana on the jersey, does that mean that, yes, there are fans that are, as they call them, Walmart fans because they bought a t-shirt at Walmart that says Indiana? Yes, it does. But what it also means is that people that don't have an academic or actual school connection to the universities within the state probably choose to root for Indiana because it represents the state that they are from. It's just easier to see. you know, I'm from Indiana, so I'm represented by the the school that says Indiana on it. And in that vein, be it fair or not, be it outdated or not, there is a comfort for people in this state to know that. For many of them that grew up dreaming of playing, wearing that jersey that says Indiana on it, that the players that are wearing that jersey share the same passion and are fulfilling the same dream. And be it fair or not, we get the assumption when a player from somewhere like Arkansas or a player from Florida or a player from California, when they're playing for Indiana, and they're succeeding, it's wonderful because it's like that guy bought in. Joe Hillman's from Glendale, California, but he is a Hoosier. He gets what it means to represent Indiana. Jim Thomas is from Fort Lauderdale, Florida, but he's a Hoosier because he won a national title and he was Bob Knight's first recruit from the state of Florida, et cetera, et cetera. But when you have teams that are predominantly made up, and I'm not saying that Indiana's predominantly made up of quote-unquote outsiders, but Khalil Ware is a guy that that is having a really good year and is a really good player, and kudos to Mike Woodson for creating in him a fire that Oregon could not. But Mike Woodson has Khalil Ware playing at a high level to showcase Khalil Ware's opportunity now to go into the NBA. And the perception is there that Khalil Ware – went to Indiana not because he wanted to bring back the glory of the Cream and Crimson and Martha the Mop Lady, but rather because he needed a showcase to get himself into the NBA, and Indiana gave him a combination of the NIL and that stage. And Mackenzie Mbaco is a wonderful player and a talented player when he's on and when he's invested. But he was a top-five recruit that was locked in for Duke, and then at the last minute, Duke decided they didn't want him. And the perception is... That McKenzie Mbako is at Indiana, not because he wants to capture banner number six and reawaken the magic of the 83 Big Ten tournament team that scratched and clawed its way to a championship, but instead he's there because it's a program that gave him an opportunity when a big program turned their back at the last second. And that's the perception that fans have, and that all is somewhat understandable and more easily allowed when you have a team that is meeting expectation. This team is not. They've underachieved. They are again not going to make the NCAA tournament, which has become the norm in Indiana. I'm old enough to remember when like they had an incredible stretch of like 20 plus years without missing the tournament. And in addition to that, you know, in 86 when they got beat by Cleveland State in the first round, it was literally like this a state of mourning because that just didn't happen under Bob Knight but that's the reality of where Indiana is today. And so when you combine the fact that Indiana has underachieved, Indiana is compiled of a roster that goes everything against what I was just talking about or plays into the narrative about those players, be it fair or not, and I would say somewhat unfair, but reality of expectation. And then you have a 66-year-old coach that seemingly only got the job because he had played at Indiana 40 plus years ago. And yes, I know that he had connections to the NBA and they thought that was going to be a gold a golden nugget for recruiting and it still may be. It's but they don't play well together. They don't look overly prepared in game plan. They're not well constructed. And one would assume their roster is going to take over a significant change in the next year or so, and then you're really back to square one. So the question started to arise of what is the status of Mike Woodson? Mike Woodson answered that exact question and some other things today, but began with, Mike Woodson, your long-term sustainability at Indiana, or even more so, next year at Indiana is what?
0: You know, I came back to try to put this team in the best position possible. And, you know, I'm going to continue to, to do that. I mean, I'm I'm 60, almost 66, but I feel good and I still move around. And I think, I still think well you know, in terms of the game and I still think I can teach the game. So I don't know. I mean, there are coaches that are coaching into their 70s and, you know, I don't know if that's something I'll do. I don't know, you know, I'll, but at this point I'll take it a, A day at a time, a year at a time. I'm not going anywhere anytime soon, guys. I'm just not. So I'm going to continue to build this team and and try to put this team in the best position possible.
1: Okay, here is point and counterpoint only. I get all of that, and that's cool. This is where Indiana has fallen short. This is where Indiana is open to critique. There are a lot of areas, but this is a big one. Either one of you guys do scouting when you were a kid? Cub Scouts, Boy Scouts, Weeblows, anything? No. Were you guys born in the United States? Did you grow up here? Yes. I played sports. I didn't have time to do Boy Scouts. Well, like Cub Scouts. Nope. Okay. Well, for those of you that did scouting when you were kids, one of the mottos was be prepared. Okay? And did you ever go to Sunday school, either one of you guys? no Jim, jimmy's jimmy's like beside himself with his answer no i i, I mean yes i did i just like wh- i felt
2: like you could have just led with a boy scout is always what i could have hit you with the prepared line i just know I, okay. I didn't go to
1: scouts but yeah, i went to sunday school sure um so in sunday school you probably learned the story of noah's ark right yep okay it wasn't raining when noah built the ark it's one of my favorite phrases right yep my mom listens to this radio program My mom knew a year ago, this time of year, that there was zero chance that Jalen Hood Shafino was going to be back at Indiana, right? Didn't everyone know that? When Jalen Hood Shafino went to West Lafayette and dropped, what, 33 against Purdue on the road and had the highest single game output on the road against Purdue for an Indiana player, I think, in history. And again, credit to Mike Woodson, perhaps, or Jalen Hood Shafino, more so, He developed over the course of the year and was undoubtedly going to be a first-round, if not lottery, pick a year ago. Everyone knew it, right? So at that point, you probably should have started planning for better guard play this year, especially when Xavier Johnson had a career of not only being injury-prone, but also just being a complete pain in the backside and acting like a 15-year-old. So... Mike Woodson, your thoughts on what's happened in terms of your lack of guard play in the Big Ten in the 2024 season?
0: When we knew Jalen was leaving, we desperately tried to find a backup point guard, our starting point guard, to go along with Xavier and Gallo. So, we explored, we talked to different guys, and and guys went to different, you know, went other places based on, they thought that was a better fit. So, you know, we basically came into this season hoping like hell that X didn't get hurt and Gabe would get an opportunity to learn slowly. Okay, I understand the latter
1: part of that and the fact that you didn't think that Gabe Cups would be thrown to the Wolves. But they had to know midway through the year last year that Jalen hood was not going to be back and it, maybe they did start planning then for it, but...
2: I think there is a and I'm not trying to be revisionist history here, and I'm certainly not trying to carry water for Mike Woodson, but Eddie and I talked about this when we were looking at the roster a couple of weeks ago. You could have made an argument in the first couple of weeks of the season last year that Jalen hood Shafino was such a raw talent that maybe he wouldn't go straight to the NBA, and a lot of mocks reflected that, but what you're highlighting, Jake, and I don't know if this is a fair branch to give them or not, if it was... Around that time, the second half of the year where he takes over, if that was the moment where they started planning and said, oh, no, we need a point guard next year. It's slight malpractice to not at least have that in the back of your head to begin with around the fall because, you know, the type of player he could be. And if that is the point where the light bulb clicked on and you're like, oh, no, what do we do for twenty three, twenty four? You're behind the eight ball in the recruiting process and you're only reliant now on the transfer portal.
1: Right. At that stage. I just think there are a lot of areas where Indiana's roster was poorly constructed for this year. And I think that that quote right there to me shows the biggest problem. Which is that Indiana is recruiting players that are forcing them to have to annually recruit on the fly and build on the fly. Look, Kentucky John Calipari is as good a recruiter and I think as good a coach in college basketball as you're going to find right but John Calipari and I think Kentucky fans would tell you this when you go out and you're just loading up with like one and done players some years they gel together and Katie bar the door and other years it just doesn't work out for you and every year is like trying the new venture and and listen, that's a better problem to have than what Indiana has. Don't get me wrong, but I think Kentucky fans are fatigued by it. There's a happy there's a happy medium that comes with it. the the, the title team that John Calipari won with, you know, it was a I mean, you've got Anthony Davis, you know, they, they were loaded, right? But they had four year players on that roster that were key players as well, and they really matched Matt, you know, meshed together, but. Indiana's roster, I I mean, I could sit here and completely open up and go off on it, on all of it, on the state of all of it, but at some point it becomes not only tiresome to listen to, but probably tiresome to shout because it's not going to change. Mike Woodson is in with the right people. He's not a terrible coach. He's not. He's not a terrible guy, at least I assume he's not. I wouldn't know. He doesn't talk to anybody like locally in the media on his own flagship station, so I wouldn't know that. But my assumption is he's a pretty decent guy. Seemingly, people I know that know him like him and think he's a good coach and think he knows the game of basketball. I will trust their opinion on that. But there's a difference between being an NBA coach and being a college coach. Number 1, as a college coach, your roster is rotating every four years and it should probably every two to three, but it shouldn't be every year. And you have to plan for and have into account backup situations and
2: plans. They had none. The part that annoys me the most about this, I'm willing to forgive and look past the thought of them not being prepared for Jalen Hood and I don't want to, of his departure to the NBA... And I'm even willing to hear out the fact they might have missed the transfer portal. Here's the issue for next season they still don't have a guard. Correct. Like, unless Gabe Cups is going to take a leap forward, there's no incoming freshman at that position. Your best case scenario to not bore listeners with incoming recruits is Liam McNeely, and then they win the services of Derek Queen, who's another big. You still don't have a guard. So, you're either going to have to pull an 11th hour miracle on the recruiting trail for somebody that hasn't signed yet or maybe is still up in the air or you're going to have to win in the portal which you didn't do this year and if
1: you run it back without guard play next year you're going to just run the same thing over again correct it's rinse and repeat right when's the last time indiana won the transfer portal when's the last time indiana got a player in the transfer portal where you're like man that was a huge get and i'm not even asking rhetorically I, i i mean there's probably somebody i'm forgetting but more often than not, isn't it somebody that immediately you go, you know what, I kind of figured out like why they're... You know what I mean? I mean, <laughs> this,
2: is a this plays into your point. I mean, Xavier Johnson was, right? He was at Pitt.
1: Yeah. And and you know what? He was at Pitt, and didn't he get booted from Pitt? Isn't there... I believe... Didn't, I believe, I, didn't he get suspended I can't from remember
2: offhand, but I just know he was at Pit before he came to Indiana.
1: Wasn't he a total pain in the ass at Pitt, and that's how he ended up in Indiana? And guess what? After he got suspended for leaving the team hotel in Chicago, and after he got suspended for driving, I don't even think he got suspended for driving like ninety-five miles an hour up Kirk or El Kirkwood or Walnut or one of those streets. Not 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 Kirkwood, Walnut, or which one's the one that comes in? I think it's out of town. He was driving ninety miles an hour up Walnut. They should have just let him keep driving. Where's the most notable right now? Because of the impact he's had. Okay, this year. that's a good player. Yeah. But again, one year, right? What? 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 Here's the thing, and this is what drives me nuts. Now we're onto a totally different topic, okay? But let me just say this about Indiana. This is what drives me crazy about Indiana fans, right? Khalil Ware, they get Khalil, they pay two hundred fifty thousand dollars to get Khalil Ware in the transfer portal. Oh my gosh, smoke cigars, do a happy dance. Let's let's all meet at Kilroy's and do shots. We got Khalil Ware. Don't forget the breadsticks. And he's been a nice player. Yep. Right, he's been a nice player. Yep. Without him this year, they'd have been 500 instead of three games over it. Great. What? What? What'd it do? Noah Vonleh, five-star recruit. Hang the banner. We got a lottery pick. Noah Vonleh. Great. They were 16 to 14. <laughs> Out. Didn't make the tournament. Gone. See you. Whatever. Now he's playing somewhere, averaging nine minutes a game. Great. Wonderful. Let's do a backflip. Let's let's high five each other. Hunter Perea, Peter Jerkin, oh my gosh, biggest one-two combo of all time. Downing and McGinnis all over again. Peter Jerkin couldn't play dead, and Hunter Perea can't catch a basketball. Did nothing for you. The movement. Holy cow, here it is. We're back. Print the t-shirts. We're back. Indiana's biggest obstacle is the fact that it's hanging on its past. I'm telling you. Indiana has no ability to move forward because they keep hanging on to their past, including kind of stuck in the mud with a guy that I do think Woodson, he's okay, but if you want to get past okay, you can't be a program that talks about Banner 6. You can't be a program that talks about history. You can't be a program that wears candy-stripe pants because that's what you wore in 1976 if you you can't do all of those things if if you're using it, if it's holding you back from moving forward. Well,
2: but they overcorrected with this hire, Right. Because they tried that. They tried to move on and do something new and something fresh with Archie Miller, and it blew up in their face. And then they made a safe hire. Someone that would get back those echoes that would, in theory, have the history of yesteryear. I'm not saying it was right.
1: Here's Indiana's problem. Sure. Twofold. Number one, they they never thought about when it was raining about building the arc. Purdue. Matt Painter's at Purdue, and he was the heir apparent to... Gene Cady, and they had a plan in place. They had a secession plan in place. They had him there. They had him work for a year, and they handed things over, and it was a, a smooth transfer of power, right? Indiana, on the other hand, this is Indiana's problem. Indiana University basketball. I remember in 2000, I'm working in St. Louis, and I was talking to an assistant coach at the St. Louis University who had played on a national championship team at one of the elite programs in college basketball. And I said to him, you know, Indiana's probably the number one job in the country. If Knight gets fired here with this deal, Indiana's going to have, they're going to line up. And the guy said, what are you talking about? Indiana's not the number one job. Louisville's probably the number one job because at this I'm talking twenty five years ago, but he's like Louisville probably is because they don't have a stringent academic standard. They have a deep alumni base and and they have history. Indiana is not a good job because Indiana wants to prides itself on what it is without putting they, they think they can just turn the key and it's Indiana and it's nineteen eighty seven all over again. And Indiana's problem and I agree, Archie Miller seemed like the right guy. I mean, but they 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 talked to no one else. When they hired Archie Miller, they talked to no one else. When they hired Tom Crean and Kelvin Sampson, when they hired Kelvin Sampson, Rick Pitino, and John Calipari, both give me the job. Tom Izzo was interested in Indiana at that time because you had had the transfer from Bob Knight of what that coach was talking about, and now people knew it had to be reawakened a little bit, right? And the, But Indiana's problem is that Indiana never, this is Indiana's problem, Indiana University basketball, literally when they have a coaching position open now they need to put an ad full page on theathletic.com and on espn.com that says indiana university basketball is hiring please send your resume here none of this crap about we're going to be selective about who we talk to we're going to like be we're going to be higher and how would that work out for you Kentucky had a problem with Billy Gillespie, and after two years, they said, you know what? I'm done with this. This guy's not the guy. Done with it. Indiana's hung on for too long to guys. And then they sit back and they wait to see who applies as opposed to going out and saying and going after blue blood coaches and saying, come here. Come to Indiana. This is where you want to coach. Come to – they sit back wait, and, and and do that instead of waiting to see who wants to – That you just need to just throw it out there. We are Indiana, and see, you never know who's going to apply. They've never given themselves that opportunity. Why would they deny themselves Rick Pitino? Why would they deny themselves John Calipari? Because of standards? They brought in the biggest scumbag in college basketball and Kelvin Sampson. They talk out of both sides of their mouth with the whole thing. And then they were right back to square one – because they they did themselves a disservice through the search. They continuously do that. So if Mike Woodson says he's not going anywhere next year, it's number one because he knows the right people, and number two because they have no plan in place, none. What's the plan? Everybody wants Dusty May, right? Fine, Dusty May is going to sit around and go. You know what? I'm out of here. I'm in Boca Raton. I'm going to go to DePaul or Ohio State or wherever. I'm gone. And Indiana is, in three years, Indiana is going to be, oh, we went to one tournament in three years with Mike Woodson, right back to square one, and then what? Now you're even further removed from relevancy. It's insane. That's their problem. Just accept who you are. Just say, you know what we are, Is Indiana basketball, we're a 60% program that goes to the tournament every four years, and every six years goes to the Sweet 16, and we are Iowa State, we are Missouri, we are Arkansas, whatever. Just just accept it and admit it. Period. That, that's what that just come to. I would much rather Indiana just be realistic about who they are. Just be realistic about who they are instead of feeding me all this crap about stuff that is like literally double the age of the people you're trying to recruit as players. There's no player out there today that cares about Keith Smart's shot. There's no player out there today that cares about Todd Leary hitting threes against Duke. They don't even know about it. Instead, what do you have to go in and sell them on? Hey, we'd like you to come here because our point guard went to the NBA and we had no plan in place, so would you mind signing at the 11th hour and maybe you too might be able to fight for an 11th seed? Come on, man. It's infuriating. Absolutely infuriating. Uh, Did you get a hold of Nick, Eddie? Uh, Nick Gardner, Butler Basketball. We'll talk about the dogs who did go out and actually find a coach that's kind of put things together for them, and they did so having to kind of revamp on the fly. We'll talk about it next.
3: Whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Cascali Ribocyclib 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Cascali is right for you.
1: Big one tonight in the Big East between Butler and... Villanova and Jimmy you were telling me Butler right now stands and I do listen I, I, I kind of mock like mock drafts and that kind of thing the one that is I, I'm convinced of this I, I think Joe Lenardi when it comes to the bracketology I'm not going to say that like he's scooped so to speak but like he whatever formula he has is very similar to the tur- tournament selection committee because he usually is like he misses like one team so it's a very good barometer and like when you go out on a frozen pod and you start to hear that, dun, 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 and you know that it's things are a little bit tenuous, that's where Butler is right now, right?
2: Yeah, so Butler's in the last four in, and Lenardi's latest bracketology that released earlier today. They are the best of the last four in teams. So he has like a seed line ranking, one, two, three, four, fourth being the worst, that top spot being the best. They're in the best position of the last four in teams that include Gonzaga, Seton Hall, who Butler still has to play,
1: and Ole Miss. Okay, and Seton Hall right now at ten and five in the conference, but seventeen and nine overall. Nick Gardner now joins us to talk about Butler. Nick, reality is the dogs are seven and eight in conference, but sixteen and ten overall. So clearly, Lenardi and/or prospective committee members would be impressed with what Butler. Would it be more so what Butler did out of conference, or simply the way that they have played here in the second half of the season that kind of tips the cap for them?
4: Uh, you know, I think it's a little bit of both, Jake. Thanks for having me on. First of all, good to join you guys. Um, I think, number one, you look overall, you've got like Boise, the the win over Boise State down in Orlando. That's a good one. Boise State's numbers are good, so you've got a win over them. That Texas Tech win in the non conference looks pretty good. That's one that they throw up there. Um, and, and I think, maybe even most importantly, part of why they're positioned so well is they've avoided any bad losses, right? All of their losses pretty much have been. Q1, Q2 losses. They've avoided those Q3 and Q4 things. So there's no bad losses on the resume. Um, and you've got some big wins, obviously, over Marquette, at Marquette, at Creighton. So you put yourself in a position now where if you can you know, take care of business. And now, Jake, you've got to, especially this week, right, where you're playing, you're at and over tonight at Seton Hall on Saturday. You've got matchups against two of those teams that you're seeing, that you're grouped in with um as far as next four out and and that are on the bubble so you can really solidify yourself for instance tonight you get a you get a sweep uh, you get a win over nova you got a sweep over nova you got to think you're above them in the pecking order so a big big week of opportunity continues for the dogs
2: butler radio network analyst nick gardner joins us nick i was in attendance for that providence game and it was great to see a butler win on super bowl weekend and see a good packed crowd at hinkle Fieldhouse, as has been the case But that game led to a string of the last three, including that Providence game, giving up north of 40 in the second half and being outscored in the second half in each of their last three games. They're 1-2 and in those games, though they've played three games over their last seven days. Is this a fatigue thing towards the end of the season for Butler as to why defensively things have been down in the second half and the offense hasn't been able to pick it up, or is it something else that you can point to as an area that can be fixed for Butler in the home stretch.
4: Um, I wouldn't necessarily say it's a fatigue thing. I think this group, um, you know, really, you look back at that second half on Saturday against Creighton. That was kind of the one time that this team wasn't able to punch back. They kind of got hit in the mouth in that second half to start, and they were never able to really recover. And that—that's the aberration. For the norm has been, this team has been able. to about now. they haven't come back and won all those, um, but they've been able to, to kind of throw a counterpunch, and you just didn't see that. I think part of it was um, the offense let the dogs down early on Saturday. And with Creighton, you've got to keep pace with Creighton just because of how quickly they play, how potent they are offensively. And I think you saw how it snowballs against a team like that. Go back to the Marquette game last week. Um, man, I think that, that was more Marquette's ability to execute more than anything. So certainly, look, this is a team that has won more games with their offense than their defense. Um, now the defense has to be at a certain level so you can allow your offense to function. And so certainly you've got to improve in that area. Um, I think a lot of that was probably more so the opponents, but yet you've got to get a little bit better on that end of the floor because this team, when, when, you, when you're playing you know, decent enough defense and rebounding the basketball well, you're giving yourselves opportunity to get up the floor and score, and that's how this team has beaten they're good opponents by by just outscoring them oftentimes.
1: Nick Gardner is our guest talking about Butler, the Bulldogs again taking on Villanova. Nick, if you were to go back, because this is a team that is, that is obviously, you know, markedly different than, say, November, early December, right? I mean, it's kind of come together before our very eyes. But if I was to go back to, let's say, Thanksgiving time, and I'm sitting down with you at Thanksgiving, and I have come from the future, and I'm saying this is what they're going to look like in late, mid to late February, who is the player that is contributing for Butler right now that in November you would not have guessed so? And perhaps that's been the difference
4: for them. Well, I think you know one guy, Jalen Thomas, has been playing really well. And and I think you go all the way back to that first, the win at Marquette a while back. He really, like that's when his play kind of picked up. And he's just been much more active. He's rebounded the ball really well. Look, he scored 19. Um, on Saturday against Creighton. And so for the most part, you've had, you know, B.J. Davis, Pierre Brooks, Jamil Telford, Pasha Alexander. Man, they've been pretty consistent throughout. And and, and Jalen has come on of late. And so if you can kind of get those guys back, Pierre's been a little more quiet of late. um, But if you can kind of get those guys back playing at the the level they've been accustomed through all year, and then you get Jalen Thomas's production, I think that's the guy who can really be kind of an X factor the next month or so. If he can continue uh, to be as active and scoring the basketball as well, that's just another threat that makes it really tough to guard this group when the dogs are on offense.
2: Nick Gardner of the Butler Radio Network, nice enough to take some time with us. Nick, I know that a 22-9 and 9 COVID season is mixed into this stretch, but it's pretty incredible with all the success that Butler had from the 2000s onward to think that it's been six years since they've been a part of March Madness and – that has done an incredible job. The fact that they are in the position that they're in, in year two, when I think outside the program, maybe not inside, but from an outsider's perspective, it feels like maybe they're a year ahead of where they're supposed to be. But hey, these opportunities, you got to take advantage of them when they're there. From your perspective, what does that mean that they could potentially end this drought and be maybe ahead of schedule to some if they close strong these next couple weeks?
4: Uh, it's, uh, I think you're right, Jimmy. I think this, you know, when you look at this group that the staff targeted, um, and look, this was before kind of the court rulings allowed for a second transfer without sitting out at the time, they thought that that wasn't going to be possible. So they went and targeted guys that had an opportunity for another year and had transferred already. So, so in, in theory, right, this is a kind of a two-year plan with this group with the idea of getting them back next year and then really being ready to go. So if it, it, that's the idea, man – you are ahead of schedule a little bit, but just like you said, Jimmy, like just because you're ahead of schedule doesn't mean you can't pounce on this opportunity. It would mean everything for this program to get back in the NCAA tournament. Um, you know, you mentioned all the success you had going back to the, you know, kind of the the, the stepping stone that this group had been on, this this program had been on, where you, you know go all the way back to '99, where you're right there in the first round, then you take the next step the following year, and you kind of climb that ladder onto the those, those great seasons in 11 and 10. Um, but, but make no bones about it. That is the goal, right? Whether it's a year ahead of schedule or not, you, you've got an opportunity in front of you and you you've got a really good opportunity with the schedule, how, it, how it unfolds, you know, down the stretch here. So um, whether you're a year ahead of schedule or not, um, they they understand the opportunity at hand and, and they understand the importance for Butler of being in the tournament and being a perennial contender. And so I think they're going to play with that type of urgency down the stretch.
1: Nick, we oftentimes, Nick Gardner's our guest, we oftentimes ask or expect players or teams to kind of reinvent themselves if they're not playing well over the course of a year. You know, hey, they they were playing this style of offense, now they need to start doing this, you know, whatever else. We, We expect players to mature and change. And oftentimes we expect players to just buy into whatever the coach is selling and if it falls short it's on the players not the coach you know unless it becomes habitual how is thad mata in the two years that he's been at butler now coming back and i know that you probably didn't watch him game in and game out at ohio state but i think we all paid a little bit of attention because of his butler connection how has thad mata evolved in year number two here at butler how is he a different coach philosophically approach whatever it may be in any way shape or form than what he was the day he took
4: the job? That's a good question. I think I, – I don't know that he's changed a lot. I think what he did was he went and went, went and got a roster that is more suited to how he coaches. I think one thing that Coach Meyer does a great job of is he is going to instill confidence in his players. They are going to have belief in themselves and in each other that is on par with no other coach they've played for. Like, that's what he does. And, you know, I think he – like, He he knows the stuff, right? And and the technical, the strategic stuff he's on top of. But but I think what he really excels in is making sure those guys are ready. So I'm not sure much of what he's done has changed. I think he's got his core philosophy. And what he has is a group of guys that he trusts and he believes in that believe in each other as well. And I think early on it was, hey, listen to me, believe in me, like, like without any substance behind it. But then when you get some victories and you're going through those experiences, now you have the substance behind it and that belief comes becomes even greater. Um, and so I'm not, I'm not sure if so much has changed a lot. I think more so what he's done is he's surrounded himself with guys who are more his type of guy to coach. And in turn, he's able to just dig in on what he wants to do. And they've responded really, really well in a quick matter of time. You know, in a portal area, an NIL area where – man, it's hard to create chemistry. This group did it, and they fast-tracked it, and that's why they're kind of ahead of schedule, as Jimmy talked about.
2: Nick, I know this is a weird question because they've been a part of this now for a decade, but you've gone through, if you include Brandon Miller, you've gone through four coaches for, for mainly good reasons. Obviously, Laval's time had you know, come to a pass, and they were ready to move on and go in a different direction, but there's only been a handful of marks of long-term stability at the head coaching position for other different reasons in their 10 short years in the Big East. Does it feel like with Thad, there's finally a sense of... Belonging is not the right word, but people criticized the move when it happened. I was a fan of it because it's Butler finally a part of a real high-level conference where they're always going to be in tournament conversations now and don't have to deal with the dread of losing to Cleveland State on a Tuesday. No disrespect to the Horizon League, but that could end a season, whereas if it's Seton Hall on a Wednesday, not as big a deal. Is there a sense now, 10 years in, that no, they, they really belong and are already on or have been on the right track in the conference?
4: Yeah, I think so, and and I think you're exactly right. Um, like, there's no pressure. Like, Indiana State right now, they're playing with the most pressure of maybe anybody in college basketball, right? Like, they, they can't slip up, and, and they sadly, they, they kind of wore that last week. And so, now you're in a position where you've got all these opportunities. I think you're right. I think that it, it has been solidified. Now, at the same time, I still think there's there's a chip on a lot of – uh, on the shoulders of a lot of Butler folks to go get some more respect from the Big East, right? To go get some more wins and to try to prove themselves to those old school Big East blue bloods, for lack of a better term. And so, I don't, I don't know that it's um, it, it's kind of built over time. I don't know that it's necessarily changed here in the last two years. I think it's just a continued like, how do we grow? How do we get better? How can we set this program and this school up for sustained success? And certainly. With, with a guy like that at, at your leadership, you, you feel really good about it. This is a guy who's won a ton of games. He's built big-time programs, and so you feel good about it. But I don't know if it's been like an epiphany or anything over the last couple of years. I think that's something that's just been building over the 10 years in the league.
1: Hey, have you sensed, Nick, Rick Pitino, you know, caught a lot of national headlines this week for being pretty critical of his, his cast at St. John's. Did you sense it all in, in watching their games like a frustration from Patino?
4: Yeah, absolutely. Um, uh, that 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 was an interesting press conference, to say At least. He kind of doubled down on it too over the last I know. couple of days. You can, you're Rick like Pitino, was, you
1: can, right?
4: Yeah, I guess he can sit there and lie to us all and expect us to believe it. But um, I think there's no doubt. And and you know the irony is he he built the roster. Um, he went and 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 they were fine back in October. So um, I, I think that's the other side of of this kind of era of college sports. Right? Is um, you've got to make decisions in a really short window on transfer portal guys. And and you've got to make those decisions really quickly over Zoom, whereas in the past, if you're recruiting a high school guy, you may have two, three years to get to know a guy and, and kind of get to know their are intangible. So um, I think there's been a little bit of that. And obviously, St. John's is kind of – they're going through it right now. And uh, it'll be interesting to see how they respond – um, for my Butler colored lenses, I hope they stay in it for a while here because we play them in about 10 days. So I hope they're going through it still in a week and a half or so.
1: Nick, esoterically speaking, I'll simply say this. I, I'll owe you the public apology, even though I think I did it privately. Um, I, I caught like a ton of grief from the organizer of the North Central Panther State Champion Reunion Tour. Now, that you guys won the state in what year? 1999. Okay, so that was eight years after I graduated. Um I assume assumed that everything went okay with my absence there, right? Like it, th- I wasn't really a necessary
4: participant. It went as well as it could go, Jake, without <laughs> the legendary Jake Query there. I mean, I mean you know, come we, on. We had to, we had to cut out the 25-minute Jake Query tribute video. So I know. We had some extra time in there, but yes, it, it Surprisingly enough, it went along swimmingly well even though you weren't there.
1: They asked me to come and I'm like, well that was my cousin that played, Lucas Quarry. I was not on the 99 team. I was <laughs> I was 27 years old at that time. You know what I mean? Like it, it was cool though. You know yeah,
4: aside for me having to answer 75 questions about where jake query was
1: the thing is they were all from the same guy that's the only <laughs> yeah. thing that's, that's the concerning thing right <laughs> yeah all right dogs in Villanova. nick appreciate it anytime fellas thanks for having me all right i, I appreciate it man i'll tell you what you look at the biggie schedule or the biggie standings and jimmy it's UConn is really good, man. I mean, I I thought for certain that Purdue was the best team in college basketball, but I'll tell you, man, UConn is just a juggernaut. I mean, what they did to Marquette, that was a wake-up call for everybody, was it not?
2: Yeah, I mean, you're looking at the—because the Big East is not viewed as a pushover conference this year. I mean, it's not traditionally anyway, but there's a lot of high-level— High range seed teams in there, and to do to your only foe really in terms of the standings, other than Creighton at that level of the conference, what UConn did in Marquette is a testament to everything that Dan Hurley's doing over there. And in part, if you haven't got a chance to watch UConn, I mean Butler's fun to watch too. But looking big picture, if you're a Purdue fan and trying to size up competition around that seed line, UConn is just as entertaining to watch. They play a very fun brand of basketball, just like Purdue does, and they are rightly in the conversation to be and And, in some cases already are the top overall seed projected for the tournament
1: and here's the thing about connecticut and i'm not going to go off on my indiana rant again okay but connecticut had a coach in kevin ollie that won a national championship that had played at connecticut and he got into some hot water and they said you know what not like done and they immediately make a change and you could say, like, how are you getting players to stores, Connecticut? Well, Jake, you just don't realize, you know, it, it, those are all New York City kids. No, they're not. Look at their roster: Massachusetts, Virginia, Washington, Georgia, Texas, Greece, Maryland. I mean, it, it's not like they're just going. It stores Connecticut. It, it literally is like the, it's like the Rensselaer of the East. Nothing against Rensselaer. I'm just saying, it's like in the middle of nowhere, right? It's an Arby stop on the way to New York. But Danny Hurling, coach and UConn, is flat getting it done, man. They are flat getting it done. Uh, speaking of getting it done, a lot of teams are going to be getting it done in terms of franchise tagging players, trying to figure out what's going on with free agency. We'll get into to that discussion and Stephen Holder to speak more specifically about the Colts aspect of it. Joins us at two o'clock today. It's Quarry and Company here, 107.5 The fan.
3: Whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Cascali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Cascali is right for you.
1: Jimmy, did you get a uh, little bag of combos? Maybe a Diet Mountain Dew? Always ready to roll with those. Eddie, you got some beef jerky on you? Maybe some Red Bull? Yes. All right, we're taking a road trip because we talked about Butler. Now we're going up 65. Sam King, Lafayette Journal, Courier or Courier Journal. I always forget which it is, but bottom line is Boilers are taking on Rutgers on Thursday and we're going to talk about them next.
3: Whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Cascali Ribocyclib 200 milligrams at com, and talk to your doctor to see if Cascali is right for you.
1: So, Jimmy, did you launder this before you gave it to me? I did. Where did you re- where did you get this magnificent gem of an item? It, it was
2: one of those like I think you know they have like tables giveaway things from the high school days. It was just in a wait
1: wait 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 wait. By the way, what are or you not talking high about? High school days? That's
2: wrong. Yeah. I'm sorry. College days. My fault. What's no, that? that's what my are you bad. talking about?
1: This fabulous headband that I have on, which is I look like who's the Laker that wears the headbands? LeBron James? No, the the <laughs> he he also. I'm not going to sit here and powder Austin up my Reeves. Hands and, now, who? where's Caruso now? Oh, Alex Caruso, yes. Yeah, Chicago. Caruso, He always wears a headband too, right? Correct. Or Chicago, yeah. Yep. Yeah. Carmelo? Yeah, but those guys are cool. Alex Caruso's not, right? I mean, like, I, I realize. So, so you just called yourself not cool. Noted. Th- that's what I'm saying. You got to know, you got to be aware of your own limitation. I was just hoping you a, could break it out for it's the- It's a beautiful uh, Pabst headband, and I'm happy to hear that you're- Ron Colley, they were handing out nope, beer headbands nope, was for everybody. That's Colley. cool. That was okay. my fault. Nope, nope. Ron Colley's a fine They had enough scandal over there. They don't need any more, Jimmy. Come on.
2: <laughs> uh, I just thought you could be able to use it for the uh, Paps party. I thought we were going to... The PBR party.
1: PBR party. Diet Coke's perfectly sufficient, by the way. Now, I always get confused. Eddie Garrison, I will allow you to illuminate for me. Is it Lafayette Courier Journal or Lafayette Journal Courier?
5: Journal and Courier in West Lafayette, I believe, is the proper
1: it's definitely a lafayette paper right it's the lafayette journal and courier yes so it's a journal and then the courier is the guy on the bike right so the journal be the paper the courier is the person delivering it i'm confused by all of it but sam king writes for him and joins us on the program and i'm sure he's thrilled to be doing so with that introduction sam it's lafayette journal
6: and courier correct That's correct. It's not the worst introduction I've ever had, I promise you.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Okay. So hold on. Before we get to everything else, you're an aficionado of baseball stadiums, correct?
6: Uh, Aficionado in terms of I've been to almost all of them, but uh, they keep building new ones and keeping me uh, racking up airline miles to try to get to all of them.
1: Okay, here we go. I've been to, I don't know, probably 80% of them. So um, we'll, we'll do this real quick before we start talking about Purdue baseball stadium that I mean obviously everybody loves Fenway everybody loves Wrigley I get it right give me the one that when you went into it you're like you know what this is actually cooler than I would have guessed and it doesn't get any love whatsoever which one Uh, I have one in mind here
6: I I would say Baltimore the uniqueness of that and just the warehouse being built into the stadium uh, I thought was pretty
3: cool
1: okay I I'll agree, except for that Like Camden Yards is typically listed by most as like one of the three best parks in the country, right? Right. Uh, yeah. So I'm talking about those that never get mentioned, like like you would never guess it.
6: Oh, boy. Uh, I'm gonna have to, I was kind of blown away by Dodger Stadium just uh, because when you're driving to the stadium, you're kind of like, I'm closed, but it doesn't look like this is an area where there would be a baseball park. And then you turn the corner and you just see the drive up into uh, the parking lot and it, it kind of blows you away and kind of seems – out of place a little bit. Um, What are your thoughts on Wrigley
2: Field, Sam? (laughs) (laughs) I mean,
6: mean, we're going with the five most historic and beloved stadiums of all time. Uh, uh,
1: Dodger is great, and if you ever go to Dodger Stadium and you're hearing my voice, you got to go up to one of the top decks and then look down on home plate. It's awesome. Then you turn around, and downtown L.A. is right behind you. It's fabulous. The weather's perfect. Um, The one that I'm going to go with, Sam, and you tell me if you've been to this one, I thought nothing of going into and didn't think I would think anything of I don't even know what the name of the stadium is now because, to your point, they change names all the time too. But the Angels' home stadium. When I walked around the Angels' stadium, I thought it was a really nice, easy to get around park, and the outfield with the rocks and the waterfall was super cool.
6: So I've been to every park currently, besides uh, Anaheim and Kansas City. So I can't, uh, you know. I'm gonna Cincinnati is a kind of a cool ballpark, I think, with the you know downtown in the background, and then just the uniqueness of the, the smokestacks in the outfield and the river behind. Uh, right field I, I think that's one that probably doesn't get a lot of love that that probably deserves it
1: okay biggest dump definitely oakland yeah man i mean there there's a reason they left right when i went to i went to oakland to an a's game and literally like two weeks later they had a game suspended because they had raw sewage floating through the visiting team's clubhouse
6: <laughs> that does not surprise me that's a, that's an uh, issue think- right When I was in Oakland, I sat out in the outfield just in some random seats and was the only person, you know, within four sections. Oh, totally. I'm uh,
1: surprised they got the tarp up,
6: right? Yeah. Somebody came out and told me I had to go back (laughs) to my seat. And I was like, you're going to make me move to my seat when, you know, there's – Five thousand people in the in a football stadium. It's why, the why, best. Where, where anyone is sitting right now. So. It's the best. I know. And
1: in. not to mention, if you go on the wrong night, it's like forty-five degrees there. But okay, Sam King, we're talking about Purdue is the reason we have you on. Obviously, Boilers and Rutgers up next at Mackey. Let's begin with what happened at Ohio State. Were there trends in that game that you see as concern for the home stretch, or do you chalk it up as just kind of an anomaly? Every once in a while, you get a bad day.
6: No, I you know. I kind of got in a mini Twitter feud with somebody over this where I said it, it's not shocking if Purdue goes to Ohio State and loses. Um, when you look at Ohio State's season as a whole and the record and the fact that uh, a coach has been fired there, yeah, it's maybe a little bit shocking. But when you look at individual talent, I think Ohio State is a bad matchup. Uh, Bruce Thornton is a big, strong guard that scores a lot of points. Uh, and then Jamison Battles, a guy that just got hot. And, and it seems like, the formula for beating Purdue, at least this year, is hitting three point shots and uh, forcing turnovers and getting points off of turnovers. And those two things uh, both happened with, with Jamison Battle hitting three threes and, I don't know, a minute stretch there when Ohio State really opened the gap. And then uh, getting, I think Ohio State had 24 points off of turnovers. And the three losses, uh, I think it's been uh, 20 plus points, maybe average, off of turnovers that the opponents have gotten. So, uh, pretty easy to win a game when you're getting that kind of production. Just off, you know, throwing the ball out of bounds is bad, but at least you get to go back and be on defense. When you throw the ball away and it's a, an easy layup, um, that's you know maybe a four or five point swing that uh, you can't afford on the road in the Big Ten, and uh, it caught up to Purdue. But I don't think it's anything that uh, is going to carry over this week, and, and you're going to have to worry about long term. I think you know the last two times this happened, Purdue turned around and went on. Uh, I think a seven-game winning streak and then a nine-game winning streak. So you kind of hope to uh, even have a longer winning streak that extends all the way to Phoenix uh, if you're a Purdue fan right now.
2: Sam King of the Lafayette Journal-Courier joins us. Sam, you mentioned guard play and the idea because Ohio State is able to platoon a couple of those of bigger-sized guards. And guard play for Purdue has been the biggest Praise point, outside of Zach Eady being Zach Eady this year, the growth that you've seen from guys like Fletcher, Lawyer, year over year, if they are to draw in the tournament, I know we're mapping things out, is there anything from this season, and it's only three losses, that's how good they are, right? We're, we're nitpicking to some extent. But is there any thought that if they go up against equally skilled guards that are bigger, that are more physical, that it could give them problems like it did over the weekend?
6: Uh, I mean, sure. Um... But I think last year, I I really thought Purdue overachieved last year, especially when you're talking about Fletcher Lawyer and Braden Smith starting every game as freshmen. And they, even if they won't admit it, they definitely hit a wall late in the season last year. I think that both of those guys, and I know Fletcher Lawyer's had some games here where you look at him and think, why is he out on the floor? But I think that, you know, Braden Smith has been. Steady all season long. Uh, He's been one of the best players in the country, and uh, the Naismith Watch List uh, apparently thinks so as well. Even if the Cousy Award didn't recognize him as a top ten point guard, Um, but I I think Purdue maybe has more weapons. Lance Jones has been magnificent and probably beyond anything anybody thought he would be uh, coming in here. Uh, So I think that gives you another ball handler. It gives you another guard that's you know uh, with five years of experience that. Uh, is going to help you in those situations but I really think that those two that, that you mentioned are, are more ready for anything that might come this year as opposed to last year where they let things like a, a press and certain things bother them at times and a, on top of that just got to a point where you neither know, one of those guys was uh were able to give you a lot of point production because they couldn't hit shots
1: Sam as Purdue heads down the home stretch here Sam King our guest talking about Purdue he covers them of course for the Lafayette Courier and no journal and courier, right? Correct.
6: Journal and courier. JNC is what everybody just calls it here.
1: Okay. The Lafayette JNC. I'm going to write this down. JNC. Okay. Uh the Lafayette JNC. I like that. Okay, and you can buy vitamin supplements while you're at the JNC, by the way, in up in Lafayette. <laughs> uh Sam King joining us. Sam, how much down the home stretch now? As Purdue gets into games and tight situations that in December doesn't bother them and they eke out you know they close on an 11-3 run and they win a game where it's tight late how much now in those situations does Fairleigh Dickinson start to re- creep again and just apply that pressure and those nerves
6: I think uh I mean it's hard to tell until it happens but that this is a weird thing to say right now uh, on the spot but that might have been the best thing that happened to last year's team is losing that game to Fairleigh Dickinson where you think you're uh, facing an inferior opponent and you can get by just you know not playing well and, and you're a one seed and you should win that game. Um, you know Everybody is in the NCAA tournament because it earned its way in there uh, and you're not just going to walk over anybody. I think that's given a lot more attention to detail and, and maybe the biggest telling sign I've seen out of this whole season was after the loss at Northwestern and last year I think this team would have been hanging its head Uh, everybody would have been down or people would be getting on each other a little bit. And everybody came out of that game, and and we talked to Fletcher Lawyer after, and he said, you know, everybody's positive. They know you don't go through a season and go undefeated. You're going to have losses and setbacks. And maybe Purdue doesn't, you know, go into the tournament and and make a run. But I think the team is kind of more prepared for what's to come. Uh, To everybody on that team's credit, to Matt Painter's credit for uh, starting at the top and trickling down, they've owned that loss to FDU. Uh, everybody knows those questions are going to come up here in a few weeks, and I think that uh, they've just kind of accepted, yeah, that happened, but can you learn from it? And uh, I think that the, the Boilermakers have this season.
2: Sam King of the Lafayette Journal Courier joins us. Sam, oftentimes when a team, regardless of their seed, makes a run in March, there are a player or two that maybe weren't High-level contributors night in and night out, but were valuable pieces that step up and have a big moment in March. It can even happen in conference tournaments, which are just a couple of weeks away. When you look at this roster, outside of the clear star power that Purdue has, who is the piece that maybe isn't night in and night out, stealing the box score, but would be your candidate to make a significant impact when Purdue needs it in March?
6: Uh, I'm going to give you two names here and maybe that's uh, unfair because it's not what you asked, but I said one uh, or two. You're good. Go ahead. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Uh, Trey Kaufman Wren is going to probably have a lot of one-on-ones, especially if you get in the tournament and face teams that you haven't seen because of the way teams are going to defend Zach Eady, And he, you know, he may just have some open books because of it. And, and Trey Kaufman Wren is a, you know, magnificent player that we would be talking a lot more about if Purdue wasn't so reliant on what Zach Eady can do. So I think he could pop off and have a a big game where he goes off for 20, 25 points and people are going to ask where it came from. Well, it came from the fact that a team completely focused on shutting down another guy and uh, you get the looks because of it. Uh, An X-factor name that nobody probably is talking about right now is Miles Colvin because we've seen when he gets in games and gets, you know, 10 to 12 minutes, he can come in there and and give you, you know, two or three three three-pointers and he's not afraid to shoot. He's not gun-shy whatsoever and his ability as a freshman to come in and be confident enough to step in and take a shot when he gets the ball uh, is huge. And I think that's something that even though he's not played, I think in five games now this season and, and not played a whole lot of minutes here uh, lately, uh, you get into a game where you need a guy to come in and make shots. He's somebody that can come in and, um, you know, probably give you you know eight, nine points in a matter of five or six minutes That's uh, probably not a guy that's on somebody else's scouting report.
1: Sam, this is perhaps a premature question, but so we don't have to get into specifics of names, I guess. But I think it's remarkable what Purdue did from last year to this year in terms of continuity of roster in today's era of NIL and transfer portal and everything else, especially when we've seen some guys who were used to big time minutes having to take more complementary roles. But yet there's such an expectation. Is this, at least for this particular group, if you will, like a final push? If they don't get it done this year or they fall short again, is Purdue going to see an entire like just kind of remarkable turnover of roster, including guys that have eligibility to come back?
6: There will be, because of the large recruiting class coming in, there will be at least somebody who leaves who still has eligibility um i mean one of those is Zach Eddie for sure um i mean I'd, I'd be shocked if he doesn't uh this time stay in the NBA draft but uh i don't know other than guys who have been around 4 or 5 years i'm not you know sure any of these guys leave because the recruiting class coming in it is ultra talented but um kind of to your point it's taken a lot of buy in from some guys who were have been starters in the past Who've had a lot larger uh, roles in the past, and you're asking now Ethan Morton to come in and play defense for three minutes and pulling him right back out. This is a guy who was Mr. Basketball in Pennsylvania, uh, coming to Purdue and was you know a, a big time part of this team as a sophomore and, and even uh, to some degree last year as a junior. Now not playing a whole lot of minutes. Caleb, first uh, before the season, I talked to him and said something along the lines of, "You know your role is going to be limited this year," and he said, "Yes, but." the team is going to be really good. You sacrifice in order to win games. So it's all good when you're winning games. When you're 23-3, and everybody's happy with their role because it's working. But if you lose two or three games in a row, you know people are going to be asking questions. People are already asking questions like, why is Mason Gillis not starting and things of that nature? But, you know, you can answer that with, we're winning games. Why would we change things up? Um, So far, Purdue has faced minor adversities in terms of losing in three games. And and that's the – the worst of your season, you take it. But uh, if you lose a couple here in a row or this carries over and, and you do lose against Rutgers, which is a team that has been, you know, pretty boogeyman for the last few years, it seems like, um, then some of those questions maybe come to the forefront of why aren't these guys getting bigger roles or getting more playing time? So, uh, long winded answer. Yeah, I don't see anybody leaving who's a, a big part of this team this year um, that would be a surprise.
2: Purdue beat writer for the Lafayette Journal Courier, Sam King, is our guest. Sam, as I understand it, you gotten a little bit of, maybe not a Twitter feud, but you dunked on a uh, podcast earlier this week in regards to factoids regarding Purdue basketball. I'd like you to elaborate to our audience, for those that don't follow you on Twitter, at Samuel T. King, why you had to set the record straight about Purdue. Uh, well, I
6: feel like, I, you know, Purdue doesn't need me to defend it, but sometimes I see just Awful takes, and, you know, one of those was uh, recently somebody said, you can't beat Alabama if, if, you know, the Crimson Tide hit 18 threes in a, a game. There's nobody in the country, Arizona, Purdue, UConn included, that can beat Alabama when it hits 18 threes. And, and Purdue won a game, I think, 92 or 94 to 88 earlier this year, where uh, Alabama did hit eighteen or 19 threes in that game, and I think hit 12 in the first half and only led by four. So, um, you know, You have to, I think Matt Painter has said this numerous times, to beat Alabama, you have to outscore Alabama. And, you know, on that particular night uh, in Toronto, pretty was able to do so. But, you know, I see a lot of bad takes, and I'm sure that every fan base has it. Um, I saw somebody the other day saying, Miles Colvin should be starting over Fletcher Lawyer. And I I didn't respond, but I was just like, these guys aren't even playing the same position. And, and, you know, to, to the point that Matt Painter makes so often is, People that say some of this stuff, they don't know basketball. So, um, and I'm not going to say I do or I'm smarter than Matt Painter by any means because he's probably the the smartest basketball mind I've ever talked to. But, um, you know, there's just a lot of bad takes on Twitter, and uh, you really start to see those when you are uh, coming off a loss, especially a loss to a team that you didn't expect to lose to.
2: Situationally, has this team faced a little bit of everything you could ask for for a team with their level of expectations in terms of close games, in terms of needing second-half rallies, in terms of a couple of losses. Have they experienced from a situational basketball standpoint about as much as you could ask a team in terms of you want to win every game, but experience going into the tournament, not just including previous years, focusing solely on this year? I
6: think the past week, Told us a lot about this team, and I know that Purdue went one and one. But in both of those games, you're down at halftime, Uh, you're down eight to Minnesota, and you come back and win on your home floor. You're down five at Ohio State, and nothing's going your way, and you come out and tie the game with a minute and a half left. Now, I know Ohio State came back down and hit a shot to answer it to take the lead and ultimately win the game, but uh, Purdue was down double digits with 14 minutes to go at Ohio State and, and ties the game. Uh, with a lineup that was Caleb first, Ethan Morton, two guys who aren't going to shoot the ball, and then you know three other guys in the game who are scorers. So uh, that really told me a lot about this team. You know, we can, we feel like we can come back. Um, talking as Purdue uh, from any situation, and I think that Purdue has shown that this year, whether it be winning a high scoring game, winning with defense, whatever it takes, Purdue has shown a way to win games in a lot of different ways this season.
1: Sam, I do this every once in a while with people. Sam King is our guest from the Lafayette JNC um, on the program talking about Purdue. I make a statement about like an observation, and then I allow the person who covers that team closer than I to grade my observation. So I'm going to make an observation or kind of a prognostication, and then I want you, Professor King, to grade it, okay? Sounds good. Let's do it. I think Purdue – is so battle-tested and can win in so many ways that they are obviously a very, very, very strong contender to go into the final weekend of the college basketball season. I think that their toughest game in the tournament may well be the second round when they go in a 9-8 matchup because the likelihood is the most that they could go up against an uber-athletic big conference team that might have underachieved over the course of the year, a la a Texas or like, you know, your vintage like SEC team, but has countless bodies that have length and speed, which could be the things that interrupt Purdue and keep it out of its flow. And that second game could actually be their most challenging. And that if they get through that, then they find
6: their way to the final four. Thoughts? I would 100% agree, so I guess my grade would be an A. And I had this conversation with a local high school coach here not too long ago, and we were talking about what kind of a team can beat Purdue in the tournament, and, and the names we were throwing out were, you know, an Auburn or like you mentioned, a Texas. Um, you know, and Auburn's probably not going to be an 8-9 game. Correct. But,
1: I mean, like uh, Memphis, if Memphis gets in and is like a 10 seed, right. you know, that kind of team, right?
6: And here's a funny side story from that. Had Purdue won last year, and Memphis won last year, they would have played in the second round. And I was at Columbus when Purdue lost, and I saw some Memphis staff members in the hallway once they they found out Purdue had gotten upset by a 16 seed. They were fist bumping and high fiving and thinking they had a cakewalk to the Sweet 16, and turn around and, and lose the Florida Atlantic. So, but uh, <laughs> that's, uh, that's not uh, relative to what you were talking about so much. But you know, I absolutely agree that you're going to face a probably a high major team. In that second round game, that is equally as battle tested and um, isn't going to be phased by seeing a seven foot four guy and some uh, sharp shooting guards and a, a, an elite point guard. So that is definitely probably the the game that uh, if you're a Purdue fan, you should be fearful of most. I know everybody's going to say the 16 seed based on last year, but uh, that those eight nine games we see a lot of times that uh, that's where a one seed uh, gets tripped up.
1: You ever played basketball, Sam, on one of those like hard rubber courts? like it's oh, not an actual wood floor but usually like 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 churches will have it like it's kind of like a soft give rubber floor that you know what i'm talking about yeah okay absolutely. That, that's what the concourses are like at the angel stadium like the angel okay. stadium concourse you're you it's when you get old like me lower back and knees very appreciative of it maybe they have a lot of retirees in orange county i don't know but that's kudos to that stadium and then Kauffman Stadium, which is where the Royals play, looks very similar because you got the waterfalls in the outfield. Kind of a cookie cutter. Nice view of I-70. But a lot of people don't know this, underground bomb shelter-type tunnels that connect you over to Arrowhead if you are so venturous. interest. So there you
6: go. All righty. Uh, I hope to get Kansas City out of the way this summer. So, Well, it's not a
1: far drive. <laughs> Seven and a half, eight hours, buddy. And um, you can just watch your speed in Missouri because they're – Very, very very finicky around Columbia. Uh, Sam, appreciate the time, man. All right. Thanks, guys. All right, again, Sam King from the Lafayette Journal and Courier. I'm going to get this. It's
5: just going to be second nature after a while, right? I'm going to feel bad for him because he's going to go to Kauffman Stadium this summer. And in two years, he's going to have to go back out to Kansas City because they're
1: building a new stadium. Where's the new stadium being built? Do you know, Jimmy? I can't remember the exact spot, but... I would think it's got to be in the same the Truman Port Sports Complex, which is right there because it's a huge area.
2: You mean right? where they're at right now? Yeah, yeah. No, no. It's it's downtown, I think, or somewhere. It's, Correct. It's it's off
1: site. They're downtown. Yeah. Okay, because the well, you know, the downtown's not that far. I mean, right. Yeah, it's not. So it's not in yeah. the. That's interesting that they would move it away from where Arrowhead is because that's such a that is such a kind of legendary part of the Kansas City lifestyle. Especially if you have a crossover between a playoff game for the Royals and a
2: regular season game yeah, yeah. for the Chiefs. Do you have, like, dual tailgates going on? Yeah, it's a, it's a great setup. The only mark, and you're not going to hear a ton from me, so, you know, pinch yourself here. The only mark I will have against the setup is it's a pain in the butt to get out of in terms of where it's positioned and how you See get that. in there with the ramps and standpoint. So. The,
1: my guess then would be, not that anybody here cares about Kansas City geography, but the stockyards. So when you, when you go on I-70 and you go west, before you get into Kansas is because the stadium's on the Missouri side, yep. and then you go right through. So think of this in Indianapolis, like if you're going towards the airport. Is soon If you are in Indianapolis, Indiana, and you're driving past downtown on 70, when you're driving in 70 is just to the north of you to the right-hand side, and you pass Lucas Oil Stadium, like right when you get towards Holt Road, that's the area of the stockyards, the old stockyards where the cattle came in, and – State line is right there. So, boom, you're in Kansas then yep. at that point. So, all the cool stuff's kind of in Missouri, but then some of the really nice newer suburbs are in Kansas. And, I, and one of the most fascinating things to me when I was at the University of Kansas, I, I just could not grasp my head around this. There were two guys in my college group that were like best friends of one another. They grew up together. They lived right across the street from one another, okay? Literally across the street in a subdivision, subdivision, across the street from one another. Two different mayors, two different governors, and one paid out-of-state tuition the other did not because the road that went right through their subdivision was State Line Road, and that was the barrier. So wow. they were best friends growing up, but they never went to school together and they never lived in the same state until they both went to University of Kansas. It's crazy, right? Like, imagine, like, That's hilarious. Dean Road on the north side of Indianapolis being the, the barrier, or sure. the divider, or, you know, whatever, Thompson Road on the south side being a, a state dividing line all right so franchise tag day we're going to take a look here during the break and get you caught up and find out whether or not the colts have already made a call to michael Pittman. maybe they have maybe they haven't we'll let you know next
3: whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits long live listening to your favorites learn more about cascali ribocyclob 200 milligrams at kisqali.com and talk to your doctor to see if cascali is right for you
1: Okay, so Eddie Garrison has dropped the knowledge here. Again, if you're just joining us, where have you been? Um, I lost my mind earlier about IU basketball because Mike Woodson said something. I'm just like, there was some sense in what he said. I, I got it, but we might get back into that, but I'll try not to completely lose my mind again. But today is the day where the franchise tags can be placed on players in the National Football League. Now, there are two kinds of franchise tags, three kinds. The first would be that you – well, go ahead and, Eddie, illuminate me on the three kinds.
5: Okay, so the first one is an exclusive franchise tag. This one prohibits players from negotiating with other teams and are fully controlled by their current team, the player will be paid 120% of his previous salary or the average of the top five players at his position, whichever is greater. The second is the non-exclusive franchise tag. Players are allowed to negotiate with other teams, but their current team has the ability to match any contract offer. If the team does not match... Then the team losing the player will receive two first-round picks. So this is the Lamar Jackson franchise tag from last season that Baltimore put on him. And then the transition tag is a little bit of a combination of the two between exclusive and non-exclusive. The transition tag um, is a tag in which you can get paid up to 10, uh, the top 10 salaries on average, Uh, and then you do not lose or you do not gain any compensation if the player leaves the team so if Pittman left Indianapolis the Colts would not
1: receive any compensation like they would with the non-exclusive tag well okay so I'm confused the transition tag what would be the purpose in transition tagging transition tag for someone I don't know it doesn't there's not not much you don't maintain the players rights right guaranteed correct you
5: have the tag on there they can still negotiate with other teams but if they come back to you then you can pay them the top 10 averages of that player's position. Gotcha. Okay.
1: Um, but 4 o'clock today is when it will be announced if a tag is placed today. What we do know in terms of the, Michael Pittman's the big one for the Colts to see. Look. Pittman is the player we assume they would place the tag on. There are others they could do it if they wanted to, I guess. You know, Julian Blackman or somebody. You know, there are other. Doesn't have to be Michael Pittman. If Pittman they place is the it, assumed player that they would prioritize towards placing it.
2: If they place it on somebody else, do you and I want to go ahead and help Michael Pittman Jr. pack his bags, or should we wait for Chris Bauer to call us for that? Depends on what
1: they're offering him, though, right? If the Colts they place or anybody. Well, if they place the franchise to, let's just say for the sake of the discussion, sure. That the Colts place the franchise tag on Julian Blackman. Yep. And then they go to Michael Pittman and they say, oh, and by the way, we're, we want to give you a three-year, $90 million deal. He ain't going anywhere. Sure. Right?
2: Unless, and I don't I don't know the math on other contenders that would fit this bill, but unless he does not believe in what's being built at West 56th and somebody gives him comparable or the same amount of money. True. True. Because he feels like he has a better chance to win and get paid.
1: I, I would assume... The tag eliminates all that. I would assume that Michael Pittman Jr., though, has a higher financial value to Indianapolis than he does elsewhere. I mean, they—I would assume they could outspend pretty much anybody, so I would agree with you in that regard. And, and, well, here's the thing. Not only do they have the more flexibility to do so, but I think, they, I think the Colts would have a longer leash on how... In other words, if this was an auction... Like for the Kennedy Jr. or for John Kennedy's golf clubs, and Elaine's sitting there on Seinfeld, and she's got the paddle. She knows that she's got a limit she can spend, but she went over it because she got over over competitive. Like the Colts can can continue to raise their paddle in a longer bidding war it's a terrible analogy to give when you're talking about a person or a player but right. you get what I'm saying like they have I think they have not only more flexibility but I think they have more willingness with Michael Pittman to spend than do other teams because the way their team is structured I think he has a better value to Indianapolis than he would to say you know Cleveland I, I'm just throwing teams out right. Arizona those teams may say yeah if we can get him for 22 million we'd do it but the Colts I think would say we're willing to spend up to like 28 million. You know what I mean? I mean, I think they have they just have more juice in it, would be my assumption. Um, but we'll talk more about that with Stephen Holder coming up at two o'clock. The other story that happened before we went on the air today that I want to revisit. We just talked about Purdue. We talked about Butler. Um Indiana's in a really unique situation. And, you know, I just had Somebody that sent me a text that said, look, I'm a diehard Indiana fan. Maybe the best thing is to just quit talking about them. And I get that, but there's interest in them, period. There always will be interest in Indiana, in Indiana basketball. And the abbreviated version and the less vociferous version of what I said earlier is the following. When when Archie Miller, and, and I will give Indiana credit, I guess, in this regard. When they hired Archie Miller, it seemed like a home run hire. It seemed like he was, and partially because of Sean Miller, it felt like he was the second coming of a Sean Miller who had built a a strong program, built by the wrong word, but maintained a strong program in Arizona and had done a good job at Xavier. And Archie Miller had had success in Dayton, and so it was like somebody's going to pluck him away, and Indiana was the one that went and said, you're our guy. And they cut bait with Tom Crean. I had no problem with that. I know that Tom Crean has given Indiana their best years of success that they've had since Bob Knight's departure. But he also was very exhausting to people within the athletic department, and it just was time for a fresh start for everybody, including Tom Crean. And so when that happened, I can tell you factually that Fred Glass – said Archie Miller is my guy from the get-go. I don't know that he even interviewed anybody else. That was who he wanted from the get-go. And he went and got him. And at the time, I I get it. Clearly, it just did not work out. And they cut bait. And so then, they're back to square one. Now, my problem is this. I get that Mike Woodson was a safe hire because he'd coached in the nba he played at indiana so he checked that box you know think about what he's going to be able to do for recruiting because he can tell players that he coached carmelo a 16 year old kid right now probably barely even remembers pete carmelo certainly a 16 year old kid now he's lucky if his parents remember mike woodson as a player okay but he had nba connections He's kind of a cool-looking guy. He's laid back. He's like one aspirin from a coma. So, like, whatever. I get it. But I don't think that anybody thought when they hired Mike Woodson that it was going to be anything than potentially a stopgap hire. This is the guy that you can get that's a transitional guy until you find your long-term 20-year guy. And Woodson gets in there and... I think he thinks to himself, well, hell, this is cool. But they've underperformed. They've had a rotation of of roster. They've hung on to guys that they probably should have jettisoned a long time ago. And Mike Woodson earlier today was asked in the preparation for Nebraska about his future at Indiana, and he had this to say.
0: You know, I came back to try to put this team in the best position possible, and, you know, I'm going to continue to, to do that. I mean, I'm... I'm 60, almost 66, but I feel good and I still move around and I think, I still think well in terms of the game and I still think I can teach the game. So I don't know. I mean, there are coaches that are coaching into their 70s and, you know, I don't know if that's something I'll do. I don't know, you know, I'll, but at this point, I'll take it a, a day at a time, a year at a time. I'm not going anywhere anytime soon, guys. I'm just not. So I'm going to continue to build this team and and try to put this team in the best position possible.
1: Okay, now, here's the problem. He later talked about their lack of guard play. Jimmy, you said it very well earlier. Not only do they not have guard play right now, there's no real thought that they're going to have guard play next year.
2: Yeah, the conversation, there's no recruit of that position that fits for them right now. They have no commitment at that position going into next season. The thought would be, because they have a big in Liam McNeely, and maybe they're able to woo over Derek Queen, who's not decided yet where he's going to go. That's another big. There's still no guard play there, unless Gabe Cups takes another leap forward next season. And I know that who am I forgetting? Ja'Kai Newton was correct. St- yes, he was, still still there, and he was he was touted. So like, he was maybe four star, yeah, combo guard so coming out of high school. Maybe there's something there again. I I like Jake. Am never big into the rankings of it all because it doesn't matter once you get to the next level. But that is worth noting. Still though, at this stage
1: you're going to have to get somebody in the portal. Okay, now, he had this to say about the guard
0: play for this year. When we knew Jalen was leaving we desperately tried to find a backup point guard or a starting point guard to go along with Xavier and Gallo. So we explored, we talked to different guys and and guys went to different, you know, went other places based on they thought that was a better fit. So, you know, we basically came into this season hoping like hell that X didn't get hurt and Gabe would get an opportunity to learn slowly.
1: Okay, here's the problem with that statement. Number one, once Jalen Hood, Shafino, we knew he was leaving. Everyone knew he was leaving. You have to constantly be recruiting. You have to constantly be thinking around the corner. I had a basketball executive tell me once, Jake, what you don't realize is that some of the moves that I have been given the most credit in the course of my career were never my plan A. They were my plan B or plan C, but nobody knew that because when plan A went awry, I had plan B and plan C immediately ready to go. It wasn't raining when Noah built the arc. That right there sounds like somebody who was caught off guard that Jalen Huchifino late in the year decided to go pro. Everybody knew that was going to happen. Then you are admitting right there that you put your eggs in the basket of Xavier Johnson and you were hoping he could stay healthy. Everybody else was hoping he could stay sane and responsible because he's been nothing but a knucklehead and a complete pain since the time that you brought him in from a program where he was essentially run out of town.
2: One clarifier on that, and it's not a defense, it's just an observation of it, they didn't choose to have Xavier Johnson be where the eggs went. They had no other choice because they failed earlier in the process right
1: that's what i'm saying though you put you 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 had to put your eggs in that basket right Right. and so and he's saying so we had to hope like hell he didn't get hurt how about hope like hell he didn't leave the team hotel in chicago and get suspended like happened to him before how about hope like hell he didn't drive 90 miles an hour and get arrested in bloomington for acting like a knucklehead they should have let him just keep driving out of town That shows such a a total irresponsibility and tone deafness about the culture of your program right there that that's the guy you're building around. Pittsburgh, the University of Pittsburgh, whose finest moment of the last 35 years is Jerome Lane breaking a backboard and having Bill Raftery say, send it in, Jerome, with Charles Smith on the floor and Sean Miller throwing him an alley-oop. University of Pittsburgh had the senses of basketball program to say, we don't want this guy around our program. And that's the guy that Indiana's putting their eggs in the basket of. That's a problem. That's a problem. In addition to that, if I told you, I want you, if I took Neil Brown, who's the best chef in Indianapolis, right? If I took Neil Brown to Market District and I said, Neil, I need you to go in and you're going to make me a fabulous meal tonight. And Neil Brown says, you know what, Jake? I'm going to make you a fabulous meal. You're right. But i'm tied up so i'm gonna have mike woodson go in and do my shopping for me and i've said this to you guys before mike woodson would come out and he would say i got a piece of five star tenderloin meat the best there were other coaches in there but i got the butcher to give me the best cut of five-star tenderloin meat and i went down the chip aisle and i got the best i got a four-star bag of tortilla chips There were other coaches in there. One of them got the five-star bag, but I got a four-star bag of tortilla chips. And then I got the best seltzer water that they have. And you're going to love it because, Jake, I know you got a sweet tooth. I got a five-star Belgian chocolate. Five-star, the best chocolate you can get. And he gives them all to Neil Brown, and Neil Brown looks at him and goes, that's great, Mike, but, you know, I've got to use all these in one meal. I've got to use all these in one recipe. What am I supposed to do with meat, chocolate, chips, and salsa water in one dish? I told you I'm making one dish. When you're a basketball coach, you are building a roster and a program as a team. You're not going out and just getting, collectively, the best player available. Matt Painter, Matt Painter recruits to Purdue and what their needs are. Indiana is going out and they're buying in too much to the, the price tag and the, the, the name brand and less Like, it's great. I'm sure it's wonderful to buy the very best winter parka that North Face has available. But a guy in Miami doesn't do that. You know why? Because he doesn't need it because he lives in Miami. Like, they get too caught up. Indiana and Mike Woodson are getting too caught up in the brand name and the sticker price and the star ranking of a player, and they're not doing anything to build a proper roster compilation Trey Galloway's been playing out of position all year. Xavier Johnson hasn't. What's he played like? Probably twelve games the entire season, and he's inconsistent as hell when he does play. They got no point guard. Gabe Cups is a guy that that they said was going to be a better player right when he walked on the floor than Braden Smith. That's a total misevaluation. Yeah, but Braden Smith was a three-star, Jake, and he's only ranked 178th. Great. You know what? Purdue looked at Braden Smith and said, the way we play, the style we play, this guy's perfect. And he is. He is because they they, they Matt Painter puts together a jigsaw puzzle. And Mike Woodson is playing with blocks because they have bigger price tags on them and they're shinier. But they don't mix together. Khalil Ware's a nice player. He's a nice player. I mean, He's a nice player that's using Indiana to get to the NBA next year, and he has no interest in being here It's next hard
2: year. to mix anything together, though, and I'm not defending him, but it's hard to mix anything together when you don't have someone to stir it, a.k.a. a guard. They don't have a significant but, but, guard Jimmy, on their that's roster. that's my
1: point. Go
2: ahead and get That's right, my but, point. But at what point, at what point do you look at this year and say it's a one-off failure versus saying,
1: hey, you know what? I, I look I at it because be, – thank you for asking that based on precedent. What precedent is there to say it's a one-year failure? He, he inherited Jay, he inherited Trace Jackson Davis, who was a, a literally a decade-style player and is playing in the NBA, a very, very good player. And Jalen hood Shafino, kudos and credit to him, does fit that mold of they went out and found a really, really good player. And he did develop Jalen hood to a bit. But that's it. Outside of that, what have they done? It's like this rotation of guys that are like, oh, wait, just wait. They got a 4-star recruit that, from Georgia that that and they got a 5-star recruit from from whatever, you know, Florida and what okay, doing what? We just it's
2: keep, just rinse and repeat. But we keep going back telling them to tear down the idea of living on your laurels and accepting the fact that you're not that Indiana anymore. Well, if you're not that Indiana anymore, how can the answer be after two straight tournament appearances, I know that's not the standard of old Indiana. But if we're trying to wipe away the old standard, how can two tournament appearances and a down year in year two and a half of the supposed next coach be a fair assessment to say? Because it's time there's to move no on.
1: light at the end of the tunnel. There's no direction. None. None. What, what, what's the answer? What, next year we got Liam McNeely coming in. He's a five-star. Wait till that happens. Great. Hopefully he will have the same impact and turnaround around the program that Eric Gordon had and Noah Vonley had and Thomas Bryant had and Hunter Perea had and Peter Jerkin had and Romeo Langford had. Play me a fool. I'm tired of hearing it. But that's not the same coach. Those are different regimes.
2: But, like but, those don't belong to Mike Woodson. That's Tom Crean. Like you can't package together, failures of previous. But what coaches. I'm saying is
1: rotation of roster of guys, bringing in guys, bringing in Khalil. Where? What, what good did it do you? Bringing in Mackenzie Embaco. What good did it do you? He ain't gonna be. They're gonna be here next year. Rinse and repeat. Right?
2: I still don't know about Mbako, but where for sure? Yeah, where's gonna be a selection I'll of the bet draft.
1: You, I don't know. I, I would wager a, a guess that Mackenzie Embaco is not here next year wager a guess and then you get other players it's like oh man they got the guy off the team from miami that blew him out of the tournament and what a huge difference that's gonna make he averages like eight minutes a game
2: if Mbako's is not here next year because he transferred i will bend the knee to your side of this discussion and completely say okay it's over Pay a 15 million dollar buyout i just don't think two and a half years is enough time to have a clear evaluation of they need a new guy in there Then you're in the minority And that's fine i'm okay with that but i just i if if you cut ties here right now you talk about a coach wanting to come in here. If a legend of the program gets two and a half years, why would Dusty May waste his time in Indiana? Uh, Jimmy, at
1: this point, what, what I'm saying to you is, they just need to, first off, because that's their problem. They, they need to wipe it clean and say, you don't go after Dusty May. You wipe it clean and you say, we are open for business. Who wants this job? Bruce Pearl would love to coach at Indiana. Mark my words, guarantee, lock, stock, and barrel, flat out. And don't, and I'm not saying you. Don't sit there and tell me I don't want Bruce Pearl because we're a school of standards. You already had Kelvin right, Sampson. Right. You you wrote a quarter million dollar check to get a guy in NIL. It's a different world now. Bruce Pearl would love to be at Indiana. Love it. But no, he, he wasn't an Indiana guy. But Mike Woodson's not going anywhere because he knows the right people. This is kind of...
3: Whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Cascali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Cascali is right for you.
1: Interesting. I sent a survey earlier. With it moved to Monday, how many laps did you watch of the Daytona 500? And the options are between 1 and 100, between 100 and 199 total laps, I'm saying. I watched every lap or I watched zero laps. There have been just under 600 voters so far in two hours, and 54% said they watched none of it. Somebody says, I find it hard to believe that 54% of your followers, sports fan mostly, and a lot of race fans, didn't watch a single lap of a race that was on primetime TV on the local affiliate. I think people vote that um, vote the way they want the outcome to be. As
2: a voter from that poll, I had to vote 1 to 100 because I saw Two laps. Yeah. And it was I, the final two laps because I just saw it was on because they had to delay the race due to
1: weather. supposed to be over the weekend, right? I, I will tell you this, and I probably shouldn't admit this. I broadcast races for a living. I do an afternoon sports talk show. And yesterday at like six o'clock, I was like, oh, yeah, that's right. The Daytona 500's on. I didn't even know it was yesterday. Yeah. I, I completely forgot about it because we were coming off the All Star weekend and. You got, in, you know, college basketball going on and NFL free agency getting ready to start and everything else. It, it was completely lost in the shuffle. And I do think that they, the Daytona 500 is a Sunday thought process event. You just don't think of it as like an under the lights event, right? I mean, so I'm almost, almost at no fault of theirs, but, you know, for what it's worth. Now, Stephen Holder grew up in Miami. You think he's been to Daytona? You think he's been to the Daytona Speedway? Yes. No. I'll say been past it, never been in it.
5: So would that be a yes or a no?
1: See, he said that, in. So okay. I get it to know. Do you count like when when people ask if you've been to like major league baseball stadiums, if you went in November to a city and you walked around and maybe even did a tour of it, does that count as having been to the stadium? Tour, yes. yes. Okay. What about if it's closed and you just walked around the outside and peeked through the wall and saw the field and everything else? No. no. Okay. I'm yes, going to say Holder inciting. fits that category, but has not been. No, you know what? I take that back. I'm going to say that at some point young in his journalistic career that Stephen Holder, as a freelancer being in the state of Florida, covered the Daytona 500. So you're in my camp. Yeah, I'm, I'm in right. your camp. Okay. We finally agreed on something. It only took two hours <laughs> today. Holder's next. Two
3: o'clock. Whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Cascali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Cascali is right for you.
1: Hour underway on a Tuesday. How are you? My name is Jake Query. Jimmy Cook, the other voice here on this program, Eddie Garrison with us as well. It's Query and Company here on 93.5 and 107.5 The Fan. Joining us now on the program... You can read his work at ESPN dot com covering the Colts. Stephen Holder, Stephen, are you snoring or was that a dog in the background? What's going on there? What, what the hell is going on? Did I wake you up? Uh, that, yeah, you could have. You very possibly did wake me
7: up. Yes, very possibly. <laughs> Sorry. Um, Sorry, but my first day back from vacation too, man. With, that's the worst. That is. That's I mean, rough, man. You got to go like read your emails. How like, long? How long was your vacation? Um, I, I took off for a week, and I was I was gone. I was like out of the country, so. Yeah, it's it's tough.
1: You you were where out of the country? Can I guess what country you were in? It's not that exotic, but yes, you can guess. Uh, let me ask you this: Did you cross an ocean?
7: I uh, not per- no not really okay. not 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 really. You could you could drive there. You wouldn't do it, but you could drive there.
1: Okay, so you were in uh, Puerto Vallarta, Mexico
7: wrong coast um east coast of mexico but that's on the west coast isn't it
1: you know i don't know I've, I to... believe it or not i've only been to the border towns in mexico i i, I once risked my <laughs> life with a guy during a bachelor that, party you know? that i was at in McAllen, texas and we went into some area of the strip clubs of mexico and my buddy <laughs> I, I went to use the bathroom and came back and strange things were going on. And he says to me, You cannot tell anybody that we did this. And I said, I'll never say a word. And then the next morning, we went to the breakfast at the hotel, and he's holding court telling everybody about everything that happened. And I thought,
7: Okay. Well, of course. It's always <laughs> you know, you, the guy who says, Don't tell anybody. Right. He tells everybody. <laughs> and and, uh, and so. I
1: look back now, and I think, You know what? To be young and 25 and dumb again, right? Right, right. Oh, yeah. Um,
7: no, I went to uh, Playa, Playa del Carmen. Uh, Mexico which is cool like uh, about an hour from Cancun um, but it's not Cancun which is a good thing
1: I always Um, wanted to go on a vacation where you just play a Del Carmen Electra I thought that'd be cool right
7: (laughs) sure let's do that too
1: (laughs) so I I assume Um, the weather was good and the vacation was
7: good right yeah because you know it's it's obviously hot but the summer is like a different hot right Um, in Mexico so it's you know you're talking you know 90s like you know, possibly mid nineties. Now it's like 80 and no humidity. So it was like, Oh my God, this is amazing. I've never gone, uh, this time of year. So highly recommend. Yes. Um, and Playa del Carmen. I mean, lots of people have been to, to Cancun as have I. And this time we said, you know what, let's try something different. And we stayed at like this, like, uh, very traditional hotel, a very small traditional Mexican, very Mexican Sort of hotel, not you know, super American, and uh, and Playa del Carmen is very much. Uh, I mean, it's not. It, it's not. I wouldn't call it a hidden gem, but it's also not like the Las Vegas Strip or something. You and know, no like, one asked like you about the
1: franchise or. tag, which was the best part about it,
7: right? Not at all. It's it, strangely enough, they said lo- they asked me lots of things about tequila, like, "Do you want more?" <laughs>
1: but oh yeah. They uh-huh.
7: did not ask about the franchise tag, but
1: I'm all in now. I'm back. Okay, so before we get to the franchise tag talk, you've got to settle this discussion that we were just having. Go ahead. You have or have not, as you, Stephen Holder, native of the state of Florida, native of Miami, but also resident of Tampa, correct? Yeah, eight years in Tampa. Okay. Even if it was in an overflow auxiliary freelance situation, you have or have not been to the Daytona International Speedway.
7: Uh, that is a good question. I have. Um I think I, I helped out on um, coverage one year on something, and I'm trying to remember what the hell it was now. It wasn't the five hundred itself. It was it might have been, you know, some of the trials or something like that. But I have been there a grand
1: total of one time in my life, yes. But you have been? Yes you, you have, have or have not I, been to the Indianapolis Motor Speedway? Yes. Multiple times, yes. Want to make sure. Okay. All right, so 4 o'clock today, sometime just over two hours from now, we will, uh, if teams so choose, they can announce that they have franchise-tagged players. Um, In terms of the Indianapolis Colts, we are under the assumption that if they're going to use the tag, it would be on Michael Pittman Jr. So the two-part question for you, Stephen Holder, would be A, will they do that, and B, is it possible that they use the tag but not on Pittman?
7: Okay, the first question uh will they will they use the tag uh, on Pittman specifically? I actually think the odds are decent, like more than we 've ever had uh in in my time covering the colts. This is I think the most realistic opportunity for it to actually happen um, and and I think that 's okay because there's an understanding here on both sides, and that's that 's the good thing number one uh the Michael Pittman has said on the record, you know, I wouldn't mind checking out free agency and, and hitting the open market. And just to see what's out there, would be kind of interesting. Well, if you're the Colts and you hear that, you're thinking, oh, oh, hell no, <laughs> you know, over our dead body. So I think that raises the stakes if you're the Colts. You have to say, okay, look, we cannot let this happen. And you might have to protect yourself with the franchise tag. Whether you agree with the concept of the franchise tag or not, it does limit players' uh, mobility and, and, and their ability to, um, you know, to negotiate, it clearly does that. Right. So it's not in the best interest of the players, but it is what it is. It's a tool and, and they're willing to use it as Chris Ballard has said. So that's the first thing. The second thing is, and this is also something Michael Pittman addressed. He has said also on the record that the franchise tag is not the end all. It's not the end of the world. He feels like it could be the pathway to a negotiation and and reaching a deal. So, and that's typically what tends to happen. Not always, but in in many cases, that is what tends to happen. Um, I.E. Lamar Jackson a year ago, you know, so I, I think there's motivation on both sides here, but the franchise tag is a very convenient uh, tool for the Colts to say, okay, look, we can't chance it. We can't risk losing this guy, and we have to give ourselves the upper hand here. And it's business. If they do it, he won't like it maybe, but I think everybody involved will understand, and there won't be necessarily acrimony. Uh, I think they'll figure it out. And and so anyway, you asked would they use it on any other player. My guess is very unlikely. Uh, I think the the candidates you're talking about would be – Oh, you know, like a, a Grover Stewart, I don't know, Kenny Moore, I guess you could say, if you're talking about their, their, their key free agents. Uh, the problem with that is those two positions, I feel like if you're going to use the franchise tag, uh, the, the one-year salary is, is an elite-level salary, which is much more than you would likely pay those guys. So I, I don't think it behooves the Colts to consider that, uh, so I don't see it happening.
2: Colts beat writer for ESPN, Stephen Holder, is our guest. Stephen, the tag, depending on where you look, I think is supposed to be for wide receivers about 21.5, give or take. I've seen some estimations early on at 22, some at 20, but I think it's right around 21.5 is the investment you would make for a first-time tagged player at the wide receiver position. I don't want to oversimplify this for Colts fans, but when I look at Michael Pittman Jr. and what he could command on the open market, and the thought that maybe there's a team out there that is closer to contention than the Colts are right now that might procure his services if he was to hit the open market. Why chance that? Why not just tag him? And then as you mentioned, and as he's said in his media availabilities, the door is then open for negotiations of a contract extension. So is there any reason to not tag him unless they have a handshake agreement of, no, we're going to get a nice extension for you during this off season period. And if there is not any reason that you shouldn't tag him, shouldn't this be something that happens right when the window opens at four?
7: (laughs) Right. Uh, I, I do expect they'll sign him. I'm sorry. I I do expect they'll tag him if they don't have a deal by the time that window closes. I I think you, you leave it, you leave him untagged until you have to tag him. And that's why you'll see. and, And the reason for that, well, two things. Number one, you see that around the league. You'll see uh, that most of the tags will come in the eleventh hour, and the reason for that is because it, it gives you a little bit of a deadline to work with. If you're trying, if you're truly trying to negotiate, you could say one side or the other could say, "Hey, let's let's dive in here and let's try to get this done," you know, before we have to make a decision on the franchise tag. So it, it gives or it provides uh, some sense of urgency which is a good thing right i mean these deals tend to happen uh when there is a clock ticking of some kind so so that's a good thing of course both sides know it's not a real deadline it's kind of an artificial deadline so i'm not expecting it necessarily but but it does it does give you at least some kind of a it it does create some urgency to work in. that's not a bad thing um but i think your premise is right i mean why not tag him honestly look whatever you think about michael pittman as a fan the, the 21 million a year like that's that's like in my opinion that's the starting point for these talks i mean like it's going to be that. a lot more this is a, this is going to be a lot more money than people might think i and i i think people are starting to get it but i have talked to a lot of people who are like you can't pay that guy 20 million a year oh yeah oh yeah somebody will And here's why, because if you made it to the open market, the franchise tag is not only available to the Colts, it's available to everybody. So those premier free agents that we're talking about, and look, they're good for our business, they're good for radio, they're good for clicks, they're good for all that, right? But those guys are getting tagged, (laughs) okay? They're getting tagged, man. So when you actually get to free agency, when you talk about who's left, it's not going to be the same uh, the same crop of players that we are talking about now. So when you put a Michael Pittman into that field of, of actual available players, then he stands out at a different level, right? And so that's why I think uh, he will command quite a bit of money on the open market. I mean, we've seen this before. We see it every year. Some free agent gets a huge contract and – the the immediate outcry on social media is like oh my god that's an overpay well no i mean nothing's truly an overpay because the market is the market
1: Stephen steven, steven Holder's is our guest from espn um do they have let me ask you this let, let's say if you had to if you had to spitball it the amount of money that michael Pittman jr is going to average over the next three years if he stays a colt is what 23 million is that a fair number
7: I think that's that's where my head is at in that ballpark. Um, So let's see. I'm I'm looking actually as we're talking. I always try to like make sure I'm not just talking out of my rear end. So let's look at wide receivers. Um, If we're looking at, mm, let's do it by um, average. All right, average um, on a yearly basis. What you're talking about is the top five. It starts with Tyreek Hill. 30 million on average. Devontae Adams, 28. Cooper Cup, 26. A.J. Brown, 25. Stephon Diggs, 24.
1: So 23,
7: it it doesn't even get you in the top five. Okay, so we'll say 25,
1: okay, for the sake of the discussion. We'll say 25. Okay. Does that leave them money and does it give them temptation to then spend remaining cap to go out and get a second fiddle? I know that Josh Downs is a nice player. And Alec Pierce is if you don't, then you are banking on Alec Pierce showing to be the guy that you drafted. Do right. they do they say Alec Pierce is our insurance policy, but we need to go out right now and get definitive guy we know can produce in addition to Pittman?
7: Um I I actually don't have a problem with that philosophy. I I'm with you. But I, do? You think I like they do? The, do the do the Colts feel that way, you're asking? Yes. Yeah, I so I think I, I think they think they need more weapons, but I don't necessarily expect it to be a, a move that's seen as really aggressive. Like, and by that I mean the first round pick or go out and, and sign a, a big ticket free agent in in free agency at wide receiver. I, I, I'm not necessarily expecting that. I, I am expecting them to address it. But I also think they have done a better job over the years with those sort of middle tier free agents. That's where they've They've had success. Um, They have really not signed any of the big ticket free agents. And, and those are the ones where you, you get a lot of misses too. Uh, Just in general, in free agency, I think the bigger, the contract, the higher the bust rate with free agency. Um, Obviously there are some guys that are just much more proven and, and you get what you Pay for uh, but but generally those guys don 't make it to free agency you 're generally going to be taking some chances in free agency so the trick is and i don 't know who fits this bill i 'd have to look at the free agent list and study it a little more, but the trick is if you can find it is to find who is that young free agent who is on the verge of taking the next step, and you bring him in and then you put him you know, with a, an exciting young quarterback, you put him with a proven guy like Michael Pittman, you let Josh Downs do his thing. So now he's, he's a, he's a cog in a bigger, in a, in a bigger operation. That's exactly what you want. You want the the young free agent who is getting ready to take the next step. That is frankly, in many cases that has been um, Chris Ballard's MO and it's, it's worked. It's actually been pretty successful. Now, It also puts a lot of stress on you in the draft, right? If you're going to target that type of free agent, then you've got to hit your draft picks, which is a different conversation. But as it relates to free agency, that's where I think teams have the most success uh, because you can be wrong, and yet it's it's not punitive to you.
1: Stephen Holder is our guest from ESPN.com. Stephen, how much, if at all, but in your coverage of the NFL, you've covered different administrations of different franchises, the Bucks, the Colts, you know, different general managers. When it comes to free agency, how much do they weigh their free agent urgency or the players that the positions that they need to fill based upon what they prognosticate could be available to them by that position in the draft? Are they two totally separate entities yeah. or do they look at one and say, you know, well, let's not overspend at that position because – uh, we're going to get this guy in round three, or they have a plethora of those guys we can get in round four, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera, or are they totally separate philosophies?
7: No, uh, the, the conversations are related. There's no doubt. Uh, now you can't go all in on that philosophy. You can't say, "Well, there's tons of of offensive guards in the draft. Um, you know, we'll be fine. We don't we don't need one. Uh, you know, because draft picks." They develop at different rates right so so expecting that draft pick to come in and, and have the kind of impact you need immediately you know look you 're taking a risk, certainly, um, depending on the position, depending on the importance and the the, the you know the, the magnitude of the need, um, yes, you do factor that in though there 's no doubt I, I think particularly when it comes to depth, you know when you 're talking about. You know, when you're talking about signing a, a front-line player or adding a front-line pl- player, um, you know, like a, a a number one wide receiver or or something like that, then I think, you know, relying totally on the draft, but you know, just bypassing it in free agency and saying, well, the draft has plenty of those guys, we'll be fine. I mean, maybe you don't want to do that. But it also, you know, there's different philosophies with different teams. I, but I do think you are correct, yes. I think just about every team approaches it with that way or in that way, there is at least some consideration given to what does the draft look like for this position and, and how does that impact our free agent, um, you know, strategy or approach, et cetera. In fact, I mean, it's smart to do that. It's because you'll see, for example, Chris Ballard took that approach last year. I don't agree with it, but I'm just giving you an example. He took that approach last year with cornerback He said, you know what? We like a lot of these corners in the draft. And they did. They drafted a bunch of DBs in the draft. It didn't work out because injuries hit and then they had additional losses, you know, i.e. Isaiah Rogers. But but I'm just saying that's an example of what we're talking about. But that's why it's all that's also why it's it's tricky. Right. Because you can be wrong about it or you can forecast things in in the wrong way. Uh, But you are correct. They absolutely do that. And I think you should do that.
2: ESPN Stephen Holder is our guest. Stephen, you and I have had this back and forth before, and you brought it up again in highlighting where the Colts have had success in free agency underneath the Ballard administration, and that has been not taking the aggressive signing that potentially has a higher chance to bite you in the backside if it doesn't pan out, and instead being very good, living in the middle of the margins, of finding average salary players and turning them into high-level football players. The counterpoint to that in this current era, though, is you have a unproven to this point, other than a couple of flashes, quarterback that could use as much assistance as possible to ensure as steady as possible of a de facto rookie year you could have. From the Colts' perspective, what is the likelihood that a philosophical shift happens where instead of doing the safe thing, which is spread the eggs a little bit for average market value players and playing it that way versus taking a big swing for the benefit of your quarterback. What is the likelihood a philosophical shift like that happens versus them going by what they've done and hoping they get a home run in the draft?
7: So I think it's actually, uh, I think there's only a minimal chance that, that Chris Ballard and the Colts take a or make a big shift in their free agent philosophy i get the situation i'm not disagreeing i do think they are in an interesting spot right now you know they're they're a team that they are squarely in the middle they could not be any more in the middle than they are right now you know what i mean and in, in terms of record in terms of expectations in terms of everything they are we don't we have an odd number of games now but they are the consummate like eight and 18 right And, and that's okay. You know, we'll see what happens. But my point is to take the next step, you you obviously have to do some things different and and guys have to play better. You have to add talent, all that stuff. Uh, So I think you're right. They, they do. It it does beg the question whether they need to take a bigger swing here and there. However, where I do, I don't think they'll do that. What I do think could happen. And this is maybe where Chris Ballard loosens up a little bit is he takes more of those, sort of shots in the margins, because I think last year in particular, he just really didn't. He just didn't. I mean, free agency consisted of what, like Isaiah McKenzie, you know, it, it really wasn't, I'm trying to remember what their big moves were. There weren't any big moves for sure, but I mean, they didn't even have sort of, you know, smaller moves in many cases. They had a very minimal action in free agency last year. I understand why to a degree I get it. The team was in transition and all that. That's fine. But, they're not there now. They are a team that if they, if they can get some things right and figure some things out, they can take another step. And that could the difference between where they are now and taking that next step, it could be a big step, right? I mean, it could be division championship. It could be you advance in the playoffs. The next step for them is, is something big, right? And it doesn't mean the Super Bowl, but it's still a, for them where they've been. It, it could be a big step. So you've got to get there, and, and how you get there is the question. Uh, again, I don't see a free agent bonanza for Chris Ballard. All I'm asking or all I'm wondering is whether he takes a little bit more aggressive approach to filling his holes and not saying, uh, you know, we'll figure it out, we'll develop guys, you know, it's coaching and through the draft. I, that can happen too, but stop leaving so much to chance is what I'd say.
1: Steven, lastly, before we let you go, Stephen Holder, ESPN, our guest. Um, I'm a little hesitant to ask this, but I do think that people are, still are curious. Um, you know, obviously, it was when we were talking to you. Actually, when Jim Irsay sent his tweet that he was on the mend, <laughs> he has tweeted yeah. a few times since then. But is there any sort of an update? I know you were on vacation. I don't know how much you know you you were dialed into it then. But is there any sort of an update to Jim Irsay? Not only his health, but just his his progress. And what his involvement will be throughout all of these processes?
7: I wouldn't say I have a lot of information on that, you know, for obvious reasons, not being around the last week or so. And and that's one of my goals this week is to kind of at least learn something. Like where are we at and, and what's next? And and those are the questions that I have. Um, I do think the questions are, are important. It's not a matter of, you know, poking and, and prodding, um, but – I mean, he's the chief decision maker for the organization, <laughs> so it's kind of important, right? I mean, and I think anytime you talk about privacy and whether we should report on things and all that, uh, I I respect all of those those principles, and I think you know you and I have talked about this off the air for sure. Uh, and I think there's also another side of it is I think you can respectfully. Um, report on and ask about and provide information in a respectful manner because he is a very newsworthy individual. There's no doubt about it. Um, ultimately, Chris Ballard and Shane Steichen are running the Colts on a day-to-day basis. But if you don't think that, that Jim Mercer is involved in every major decision, at least you know, when, he's, when he's in the mix, and I don't know what his level of involvement is right now, but typically – He's he's getting a phone call uh, well ahead of every major decision. I absolutely, positively can tell you that for a fact and is involved in all those decisions. He might defer, and that's fine. That's probably what he should do, just as an owner, and let your football people do the football. But, but yeah, he's involved, and, and he's he's deeply involved in all those decisions. So that makes it newsworthy, and I, I do think we uh, hopefully get some more uh Sunshine and and information on on where he's at and, and what's next for him. What for do you reason? think,
1: Stephen? What do you think was the last, if any, okay, if mm-hmm. any, in your estimation, what was the last decision that Jim Irsay made or mandated that showed total autonomy?
7: Um, hmm. I don't know. I, I guess autonomy in terms of like. That that he was hands off in letting his people make the decision. No, the game, opposite. Or-
1: what was the last decision he made where he listened? Where he he said, "Listen, mm-hmm. I it, because I do think he's a very good owner. I think he has the I reputation of being an owner that does give his general managers, his coaches, you know, room and 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 leash and leniency." But is there a decision you can think of where he basically walked into a room and said, guys, I know that I'm a great owner and I offer you those things, but I'm not going to on this one. I'm going to mandate yeah. we are making this move.
7: No, I honestly, now there there could be others, and and I'm just not aware of them. The, the last one that's obvious to me, honestly, is the hiring of just Saturday. And I think that's a good thing because as much as we, we sort of ridiculed it and questioned it, Rightfully, I don't have any regrets about anything we, we said or wrote or any of that. Um, it was it was bizarre. But I do think the coaching search that produced Shane Steichen as head coach, I thought that told you all you needed to know. He clearly deferred there, in my right. estimation. He clearly deferred to his people. Uh, because I don't think you come out of that coaching search. If you're Jim Irsay, we know how he ticks how he and how he thinks. I don't think he goes into that process saying, you know, this same Steichen guy, you know, I, I, I think that's the guy.
1: The Carson Wentz release, do you think that was one where he said, look, I don't care oh, what Oh, for you. sure. Yeah.
7: Oh, for sure. In fact, it, it it wasn't a release. If it were up to Jim Ursay, it wouldn't have been a trade. I think it would have been a release.
1: If or, it that's up right. To yeah, Arce. trade, sorry. But
7: no, no, you're right. You're not wrong. I'm saying that basically parting ways with Carson Wentz. Uh, that was a decision where the ball for that got got rolling from the top, absolutely, positively, and a lot earlier than people even realized. Not long after that Jacksonville game, uh, those wheels were set in motion, at least in Jim Irsay's mind. Now I'm talking that 2021 Jacksonville game, obviously.
1: Speaking of rolling, I'm looking at the rates here for hotels and airfare to Playa del Carmen. <laughs>
7: Fly into Cancun good, good and, and get a uh, get a taxi. It's a cheaper way to do it. I, I think you can fly in the Playa del Carmen, but it's probably ridiculous. So I wouldn't do it. So check it out. Uh, uh, I highly recommend. 10 out of 10.
1: Just don't take a taxi from uh, McAllen, Texas into one of the border towns that has to go to strip clubs. That's all I'm saying. That is not as well advised. I was 25, right? <laughs> you mean
7: right? that's not going to end well?
1: My buddy Cooper said, <laughs> don't shocked. tell anybody what we did. I said, okay. And then the next day, he's just, guys, singing like a bird. He was the one drinking. I'm like, look, one of us has to be sober here because this could get real ugly real fast.
7: Uh, Stephen, right, what's that? You don't want to show up. On, you don't want to show up on like the State Department website. <laughs> that,
1: that is exactly correct. <laughs> well, like I said, one of us had to be sober. Stephen, appreciate right. it, man. Welcome back. See you guys. All Good. right, Stephen Holder, ESPN.com. Jimmy, you've been, you have or have not? What's the craziest bachelor party you've been to?
2: Uh, I went to one in Boston.
1: Anything get anybody get out of hand? nothing too crazy Maybe craziest 21st birthday party you went to anybody get out of hand
2: i mean over served but no like crazy like glass broken type right. stories now
1: eddie
2: as you know i only have one friend so
1: that's <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no. your friend that that gets the <laughs> kind of beer that i was looking for all over town and you neglected to mention by the way he he imports it oh okay yeah, see i
5: didn't know he imported it
1: bachelor parties you've been to bachelor parties no you've never been to a bachelor party no Jimmy, was Eddie not at your bachelor party? We know each other. Okay. Not like that. I mean, we I, we were co-workers, but... Do you have married buddies? Uh, yeah, but... Can we get Brendan... Is Brendan King... Brendan King's going to be in for j and is, is he over there? Can we get Brendan in? Maybe Brendan can get married and we can throw a bachelor party for you to go to? <laughs> sure. <laughs> You've never been to a bachelor party? No. I'm really shaming you over this, I realize, but I'm a little bit
5: incredulous. I was this. going to be at one, but... Uh, My friend that I had known since I was six, he and his wife decided to have a baby and got pregnant, so they had to move everything up, and (laughs) then uh, they ended up having their wedding down in Florida when they had their family vacation, so it was only family, and they didn't tell anybody.
1: Do you know what I think is the worst, by the way? I don't think that I'm a judgmental guy, even though I've been judging both of you all day today, but I don't think I'm a judgmental guy. But let me tell you one area where I judge people.
5: <laughs> and then I had another friend who was going to get married here. Then he took a job out in Washington and then got married in Washington and D.C. I didn't or get an invite.
1: What'd you say? D.C. or state? State. I'm going to judge you right now if you have a destination wedding. Like like if you live in, it's one thing if you move out to, Right. Sure. But like, if you live in Indianapolis and you're like, we're getting married, congratulations. And like the bride and groom are both from Indianapolis and they're like, please join us in our holy matrimony in the Bahamas. Like you're just assuming that people care enough about watching your wedding that they're going to like <laughs> book a vacation, book airfare, book a hotel. I, I, I mean, yeah, you that know right, what I mean? Jimmy? Isn't What's that right, Jimmy?
2: That? I didn't have it. What do you mean? I didn't have a destination wedding. Where
1: was your wedding, Jimmy?
2: Uh, not yours that was at uh white willow farms up on 161st
1: i I just think like especially by the way if you were at the age where like the grandparents are still living it's like we're just gonna get grandma at the age of 88 on an airplane and fly her down to mexico i mean come on man i just think it's like i get it i guess it's your day i get it And it it should be about what you want to do, I guess. But I do think that a wedding is partially also for, like, the collection of... Well, but I'm saying, I mean, but I do think that a wedding is also an excellent time for families to come together and friends to come together to celebrate you as much as you are celebrating your, you know, the marriage. And, like, to just assume that everybody can just up and... I mean, that's a big ask, right? I don't know. I mean, now, I've had people do this. I had a buddy that went and got married in... You agree, though, it's different if they've lived there. If they
2: have residents there, it's one I, thing. Totally. Right, like, right. for
1: example, my cousin Doug, he and his wife lived in the Bay Area for like six years. And so, yeah, I mean, their life is in the Bay Area. Right. I get it, right. right? But like when you're uprooting your life to like take it down to some destination place... We're going to Cabo. Oh, okay. Yeah, All I right. mean, well. but to me, that's just like, I don't know, it's... Come on, you know what I mean. Like that's a big ask for people. Now, I had a buddy that got married in. I think it was Jamaica. It was either Jamaica or the Bahamas. They got married down there, and this was this was cool. He got married down there, and then came back. And when he came back, then they had a reception Mm. celebration where everybody went down. And that's because part of the fun of a wedding, especially at your guys' age, part of the fun of of the wedding, you know, is meeting like. I mean, that's what made the movie The Hangover so funny was Alan. You know, the brother-in-law that's like like Bradley Cooper. When he's like, who brought this guy along? It's like, well, it's my future brother-in-law. You know, meeting the different characters and the different people that are special in the lives of both people involved. That's what makes the whole thing fun. By the way, I figured... Not for the pro- not for four grand. By the way, I figured out a key difference between franchise
2: tags that we were curious about. Oh, you Particularly did. the transition tag.
1: All right, so you can explain it next, right? Indeed.
3: All right, we'll do that. So, during... Whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Kaskali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Kaskali is right for you.
1: During the break, I just sat essentially <laughs> and listened to an Abbott and Costello routine of you two going back and forth to explain the different tags and it literally was like tag you're it and i'm still more confused i think than ever so i I think you're both neither one of you is really wrong because it is confusing but earlier in the program we were explaining the franchise tag the exclusive franchise tag and then the third which is the transitional tag can't forget the non-exclusive franchise tag either so there are four three okay the franchise tag which is that's the exclusive tag okay then the non-exclusive tag yep which is okay and then the transitional tag i would so doubt to to reiterate the franchise tag
5: is what that is the tag that is most commonly used which is a team slaps it on a player that player cannot negotiate with other teams and that player is paid the average salary of the top five players at his position or 120% greater of his previous salary, whichever the two is the higher numbers what the player would receive. And that tag is good for one year, correct? Correct. Okay. All franchise tags are good for one year. So the second tag is which? The non-exclusive tag. This is the tag that the Baltimore Ravens used on Lamar Jackson last season. Players are allowed to ne- to negotiate with other teams but their current team has the ability to match any contract offer that is present presented to that player. If the team does not match, then the team losing the player will receive two first-round picks. Okay.
1: Um, now, dumb question, Eddie. We'll use this in in an example, okay? So let's just say, for example, the Colts put the non-exclusive, the one you just described is the non-exclusive, right? Correct. Uh, Michael Pittman. So let's say that the Colts put a non-exclusive tag on Michael Pittman and the Jimmy, throw me a team on top of your head. Boom. Go. Green Bay Packers. The Green Bay Packers say to Michael Pittman, we would like to give you a two-year, $60 million contract. And the Colts say, you know what? Congratulations. We're not willing to pay that. So the Colts then receive compensation of two first-round picks. Does that mean they get those picks awarded additionally as compensatory picks from the league, or Green Bay has to send two of their picks?
2: That's the question. I don't know the I answer to. I think it's to. compensatory, right? And the compensatory draft, right? I think when you have first-round picks being given, it's it's not. It's the team, and the reason I feel fairly confident it's the team is that was what Baltimore basically when they said bleep off to Lamar Jackson and they put the non-exclusive on him. They said okay. You want to find someone that's going to pay you? That's fine. Not only are they going to have to pay you, they're also going to have to give up two first-round picks to do it, and that's why nobody would do it because you're not going to. At the time, Lamar Jackson was still viewed as a, what is he going to be at the quarterback position for the rest of his career? Do we want to give up a monetary slice of our salary cap pie
1: plus the picks on top of it? Okay, now, the third is the the transitional tag. Correct. And, Eddie, please read for me your understanding of the transitional tag.
5: This is the least common used okay. tag of the three. It's a little bit of a combination of the exclusive and the non-exclusive. The major key point in this is that ex- exclusive, you get the top five average salaries. With the transition, you get the top ten average salaries. That would be the, the structure of the contract for the player underneath the transition tag. And if you place the fr- transition tag on a player, that player has the option to still negotiate with other teams but if that team, let's say the Colts I,
1: I'm already thoroughly confused here.
5: Okay. So the transition tag, Michael Pittman Jr. can they can place the transition tag on Michael Pittman okay. Jr. If the Colts elect to retain him, he would be paid the top ten average salary at his position. So he'd be take the top ten salaries of the wide receiver right. position. Okay that would be his thus
1: lowering the price the the threshold
5: that the Colts would have to answer to correct okay now he also has the opportunity to negotiate with other teams underneath the transition tag like the non-exclusive tag now if the Colts do not match that offer that let's say the Green Bay Packers like Jimmy just said made right. okay and let's like, okay cool your your offer is too rich we don't want you your good luck in green bay the Colts do not get anything in return
1: so why would you put the transitional tag on just because in the event that you agree with the player, you, you're you paying a top 10 as opposed to a top 5?
5: Correct. If you cannot come to a contract agreement with that player and another team does not come
1: to a contract agreement with that player, then... Your financial threshold is lowered. Correct. Okay. Jimmy, that's your understanding? Yeah, yes, correct.
2: I Look, I'm not... This wasn't supposed to turn into, but as it often does with me and Eddie, because there's... We won't say little, but we know where the little brother syndrome is. Uh, It happens every now and again between the two of us. And I was merely pointing out. I didn't recall Eddie emphasizing as much as he did there. The 10 year or or the 10 salaries versus five salaries aspect of that. If he did emphasize that, then we already established the key differences. The short and sweet way to look at it. Exclusive. No negotiations. It's all over. Non-exclusive. You lose the player. You're getting two first round picks transitional it's only top 10 salaries that are being averaged but if you lose the player you don't
1: get any picks back that's the quick and easy way to understand the three tags i'd like to be franchise tagged like within any job that i have which way anyway (laughs) if it it means that my employer like values me that much i'd be like all right cool right i guess it kind you kind of are with non competes right yeah just with with pittman and maybe I'm
2: looking at this the wrong way, but I don't want to risk in any capacity him getting to the open market. And Stephen Holder, who joined us earlier, you can get the podcast, just search Query and Company, wherever you get your podcasts, highlighted the fact that, okay, you often see teams wait till the 11th hour to do the franchise tag because you want to give yourself that runway of negotiation. And that makes sense, but he's not going to hit the open market. There's no reason to allow him to hit the open market because a team will go after him if they have the opportunity to do so. Yeah, he's definitely... If you tag him right at 4 o'clock, that exclusively, that conversation's done. Nobody can take him, he's yours, and then you're free to negotiate till Kingdom Come, till July 15th, whenever the deadline is.
1: I did see somewhere that had Michael Pittman listed as like the 35th best free agent in the draft, but one of the better receivers for sure, right? It's Mike Evans, him, T. Higgins. Uh, Calvin Ridley, probably your top. T. Four. Higgins is a nice player, but T. Higgins is kind of Michael Pittman, to be honest.
2: Sounds with like they're going to tag him. A lot of reports today. he a say great break speed.
1: Gonna... Uh, bigger health risk. Yeah. But he does catch everything thrown his way. No doubt about it. We'll come back. We'll get Jimmy's fix. Did we check what happened with Lehigh last night? Or was it Lafayette? They lost. Was Colgate. it Lehigh or Lafayette? It was Lafayette because they were
5: playing Colgate. And who won? Colgate won. Toothpaste wins again, man. I think they won by seven or eight. So, had you taken them on the spread? You know what happens
1: when you drop one to Colgate, don't you? Give it to me. It's listed as a bad floss. We'll come back with Jimmy's picks. The Jay Cook plays of the day.
2: This is me. All right, I'm not a athlete. This is my way. This is how I win. Today's plays of the day. We start first with some soccer. champions league round of 16 leg one of two still ongoing as it resumes this afternoon one play of the two possible games will take inter milan over atletico madrid straight up on the money line in college basketball we'll scoop four on the baylor bears that are on the road at byu and also scoop six and a half the bulldogs getting six and a half of butler they are on the road against villanova eddie has no plays those
1: are our bets I think the theme of the show today is that Eddie hasn't had play in quite some time, right? Okay, that was a real low blow. I'm just seriously, saying. I'm just can we get saying. the drums? Seriously, that, that's no. kind of been that's been we've been writing that one out since twelve thirty. I mean, that, there's no breaking news there. I remember that. <laughs> no, no news for the sounder. I remember that. Brendan King just walked in. Brendan, we've appointed you to uh, have to get married at some point so Eddie can go to a bachelor party. No pressure.
2: Anybody break anything at any a bachelor party you've been to? Any chaos? He's walking to the microphone, folks. We did one in Austin, Texas, and had eighteen guys in one house. So it right. was, it was, there was a lot of broken stuff.
1: <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I'm telling. Who got married in Austin? The, the bachelor party was in Austin, Texas. Bachelor the, party was in Austin, Texas. Did your buddy lived there? No, we all flew out there.
2: It was actually an unreal trip because I flew to Austin, did that, and then
1: from there, hungover, I flew to Phoenix for spring training. This was last year who picked austin the be- the best man obviously right correct okay yeah it was fun it was fun i don't mind austin man it's just grown to the point now where like you try to go anywhere and it's like you know 2 miles or 45 minutes so yeah. like, oh my gosh just building interstates all over the place i mean it's well it was all construction yeah it is it's crazy it was man. all construction it's crazy uh, so you've right, been so taking Brittany, a beating
0: today, Eddie? What's Is
1: that? that
5: Eddie, has been day. taking a beating every today? Day. <laughs> every day. I'm the punching bag around here.
2: It's been a minute since I've been around. So
4: he
1: just walks just... right into it, right? <laughs> Brendan, were you a Cub Scout?
2: Uh, even though I'm a Cubs fan, I was not a Cub Scout. What are the odds? How how upset with you at society are you, Jake, that you pulled three people and all were no's on the
1: Scouts? I don't think that's, that's comment. Yeah. I mean, I, I think. Oh, you got one for four. All right. It, it probably is a generational thing more than anything else. But but I, when I, at least where I grew up, virtually everybody was a Cub Scout. And then Weeblows was like the transition like into middle school. And then most people petered out by then. James, how far did you go? Weeblow or Cubs?
2: Uh, I think I did.
1: I, I went all the way through Cub Scouts. I did a little bit of blows and then I quit. Correct. Yeah, that, that's <laughs> that's kind of the normal fare. Because Eddie, to your point, like in ter- the one thing that would be different from when I grew up to when you guys grew up is when I grew up. Yes, you played little league baseball, basketball, and football for that matter, but they weren't like the year round like they are for you guys. Sure. So I can see how you know I think Scouts was mostly like a wintertime event. Um, but you guys are probably playing like you know interleague. Like indoor baseball batting practices and whatever. Sure. I mean, year round, it's just different. I mean, things are just different now than they used to be. Uh, Brendan King is in for JMV. Along now, are you solo or is James in also? James Boyd will be here. Okay, and James Boyd will be here. And as well. James,
2: yeah, James and James
1: and, and James producing. And uh, Eddie, I have no idea what time we're supposed to be out, so I'm just tap dancing here. You let me know if we're if we're over. Oh yeah, we're over because we have to hand it off. All right, Brendan, sorry, you're, I'm screwing you on time. Sorry about that. That's okay, actually. Uh, We're back, by the way. More updates on the Colts and what happens here in terms of, we'll see. They got an hour to tell Michael Pittman if they're going to tag him. They can start doing that an hour from now. We'll see if that happens, and we'll talk about it tomorrow. Thanks for listening to us. Brennan and James up next.